everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali. We've got the whole crew here today. Uh, welcome to Josh Torres. Welcome to me. Welcome to you. Uh, Adam Vitali. Hello. James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Chow Min Wu. Hello. It is the middle of November, and that means there are a lot of new games that have come out in the last week, in the last two weeks, literally just yesterday at the time of recording for Pokemon, for those that didn't acquire it early. Uh, so we've got a lot of other new games to talk about. So this is probably going to be one of our most, this week and next week, will likely be some of our most uh, heavy-hitting podcasts of the year, as November tends to be. Lots of games to talk about. Uh, just we're going to kind of go through them as best as we can um, with a lot of the new releases trying to as we get to them, as we've talked in the last couple of weeks, all all the crunch that we kind of feel under as we get towards the end of the year. Obviously, uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet just released yesterday. Um, so we will be heading off our podcast with that, though it's likely that as more time as we get more time to play into the next week, we might do a, a part two next week. If more people, uh, it depends on what, you know, what we look at the itinerary uh, next week and if next we can week? squeeze it in. Are, are, are you sure about that? What, what, what's up? Uh, think about what, uh, what's happening next weekend. It's not the game of I, your podcast, is it? No, no, I need a hint. It's right after Thanksgiving. Oh, I think we recorded on that Saturday last year though. I don't know if I'll be in a position to. Yeah, we, we don't know our schedules yet uh, uh, next weekend. <laughs> well, All I'll right, tell so. you something. I mean, I already have Thanksgiving in Canada. We celebrate it a month earlier. Oh, look at this guy. He's He's got yeah. the 2000 IQ play. <laughs> just, <laughs> just moved to Canada <laughs> yeah, right. a month earlier. <laughs> So as of right now, we are we have not made a decision not to have the podcast next week, but uh, we will um, monitor we'll our socials. And yeah, we'll let it, we'll let you know on our socials uh, on our Twitter and everything if we decide to cancel. It might be a, just a, an abbreviated or a smaller cast. We'll see. This is also on the assumption that Twitter exists by next weekend too. That's that's yeah. another thing that we have to we can't just take for granted. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> let's just talk about this week. So this week we have kind of a packed uh, podcast document here and all the games that we're going to talk about. Uh, since we do have a lot to get through, there's a there's a medium bit of news and then four different games to talk about and then uh, some features up on the site on our site.net let's just get rolling into it with the release of pokemon scarlet and violet so these games have of course been um kind of all over the web for the last couple days for a lot of reasons not all of them great and not most of them great uh but i have not gone hands-on with pokemon quite yet though i do have a copy uh i'm going to hand off the starting of this podcast over to james who has been behind the scenes uh poking at pokemon and writing up, you know, his impressions and thoughts in different guides that are going up on the site and has been, you know, communicating in our different Discord channels about uh, his thoughts so far on the game. So, James, just, I have no idea, like, what your actual impression is because this, this game has kind of been the uh, under a lot of fire over the last week. And I want to hear it just from someone who has put a lot of time into it. Basically, what is true? What is false? How is it? And all of that. All right. Um, so I think at a baseline, I'm just going to say this. Uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus should have been the only Pokemon game this year. Hmm. I, I know a lot of us were, were surprised and a lot of people were surprised when they announced Scarlet and Violet and saying that was coming this year. And we're just like, that's really soon to announce and release <laughs> brand new mainline Pokemon games. Yeah, because like Legends Arceus was in a relatively good spot when it came out, and like uh, for for what it's worth, it was 
probably my favorite Pokemon game in years. I know that many others felt the same way, though some also were disappointed in the lack of trainer battles and whatnot. Um, but the thing is, is that that game could have been even better if it had to release this holiday instead of in January. But more importantly, if Scarlet and Violet had not even like a full extra year in development, if they if they had even just a few extra months, maybe this would be in a much better spot because I don't have to say it like Pokemon's a big enough franchise that if you've been on social media in the last like day or so, you've probably seen a number of videos about this game barely holding itself together, like quite literally barely holding itself together. And even then, uh, depending on your definition, it might just already be falling apart at the seams. Um, Technically, this game is a mess, like a complete and utter mess. Uh, The performance is all over the place. Uh, the graphical um, prowess in some spaces it can look good but there's just so much popping there's so much flickering the way this game handles like graphics even for a switch game is very clearly under like quite a bit of stress it's like to put it mildly like there is a bug that seems to be relatively common i've seen some people that they haven't run into this but i've run into it and clearly so many other people have um whenever you enter any sort of indoor location so it could be like a building it could be the uh, terror raid battles it could be any number of things that are like changing the actual like location you're in that's not part of the open world uh there will randomly be just a pokeball sitting on the ground in the absolute dead center like of the location based off the game data and (laughs) once you notice that it's impossible to stop noticing it well you might have doomed some people because if they didn't notice it before they might not they they might might just like (laughs) granted not everyone's run into this because i i i was consistently running into it with terror raid battles but uh, before we start recording, I was mentioning how, like, last night I was up way too late uh, uh, co-hosting a stream for a buddy of mine. And I was watching his, like, uh, footage and, like, in the Terror Raid battle, like, I'd see the Pokeball on the floor, but, like, looking at his, like, preview window, it's like, nope, it's not there on his end. What the fuck? <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Um, did the game launch with, like, a patch to kind of fix up some of these issues? Yes. Remember, this, is like... with the, this is with the day one patch. Oof. Uh, and from what we can tell, there is very much a memory leak right now to the point where even Nintendo's own customer service is recommending that you restart the game every day. Uh, yeah, I mean, this, this is not the only game on Switch that uh, suffers this. Like, I remember Xenoblade 3 having this as well, where they're, like you just saw very noticeable performance dips, and then you'd have to restart the game every so often. So, uh, I mean, factory that, five have the same problem. Yeah. So I mean that that's that that issue is like that doesn't surprise me. It's like, yeah, that's that just seems to be like a for the course of Switch. Yeah, somewhat common thing for Switch games. Which yeah, sucks. Like, it even Xenoblade 2 had it. And I think yeah. that apparently even Breath of the Wild did, even if the performance itself uh didn't suffer, because like the way that game worked is that it would use um the blood moons to basically refresh the memory so it's like it's a gameplay mechanic but really it's just an excuse for refreshing the game state that's fine uh, oh, and the longer okay. you played the game the more frequently it would occur until eventually it was happening like every hour or so 
Okay. I, didn't, I didn't know that it actually would change frequency. Um, no, so whenever, we, whenever we talk about, uh, first of all, I have a couple of comments based on the last bit of conversation here. First of all, as someone who has been outside of the polka sphere since like Gen 4, first of all, it just felt like to me that it felt really quick. Like, to, like maybe this is just the passage of time and getting older, but like, didn't we just get a new gen? I guess Sword and Shield just was three years ago. Those games released. We got some DLC and then we're immediately on to the next gen. First of all, that felt quick. I don't know if that's like typical for gens or if it has actually been abbreviated. Well, I think it feels quicker because of the DLC and because of Arceus, like in the gap there. Uh, gotcha. Because so. normally we would have had like a, a sword two or a alpha sword or, or, so, or, you know, I don't know, something. And well, then, well, like, you know, RCS, well, I just didn't introduce like a new gen of Pokemon. It had like like new regional variants of Pokemon, right? Yeah. And then, like when Sword and Shield came out, those two games were also lambasted <laughs> for their performance, but the scale felt different, and it kind of felt like one of those things where, like us nerds, I'm saying that enduringly online, or maybe like we're hypersensitive, we're nitpicking, and the casual fan or the fan that just picks a Pokemon every year doesn't mind. Uh, but this time, it just it's something about this this time around just feels different. I had a, a, a friend who is a, a kind of a more casual player and went to the Midnight release. Well, I say casual, but did go to the Midnight release of Pokemon, so not that casual. And even like, wow, this game is buggy. Like, this sort of thing where it's like, it's not the sort of thing that just flies under the radar. People are like, oh, I don't mind. That doesn't bother me. Like, it, whatever. Like, I'm just here to play yeah, Pokemon. If we're like keeping track, let's say like the let's say that the, let's start with like sword and shield as like the the baseline right like that game had performance issues especially at like the park area of that game the um, wild that, areas that was, too right or the wild area yeah the, like mm-hmm. people you know really really made a, a specific point of that but like the but but the performance issues like outside of that were from my memory was like fairly you know unstable side uh it was like it was like a low frame rate uh blurry textures Kind of stuff that we notice, but other people who aren't in as in as deep, quote unquote, might yeah, not. Or, or, and, they, or they and, notice and, and don't. And mind. that and, and that and you know those those problems like kind of like yeah, like the, those didn't like necessarily like permeate throughout the expansions. Like people were just like, okay, this is what it is. It's only like confined like really to this area, and the rest of the game like we can pretty much you know tolerate. And but then even... uh, sorry, go go for it, go for it. And even the wild area, like it had performance issues as in like it had frame rate dips but it wasn't really a noticeable problem for most people unless you were playing online not like this mm-hmm. god and, not uh, like this so and then so we fast forward like it's expansions and uh, dlc comes out then we get to pokemon legends rcs and you know the, the rcs was not like immune to this problem like when, when it when it launched like people definitely did the same cycle of like here are some videos there are some buggy things about this game there are some performance problems about this game but you know it, but it was like a lot of but a, a lot of that was like this is not made really technically mainline this kind of a spin-off a new formula it's like a, it's a novelty sort of thing so like it it was more of like uh to, to, to some people it was like more like a uh, an engine test almost of like trying out this open world formula for the for the pokemon series and so forth so, and like, people, people kind of right, use so, that for like the environments it? and stuff where they said they when the environments were first shown like wow these are really kind of dated but it's their first it's game freaks first go like so there's a little bit of a boiled frog effect there where it's like yeah uh, it's game freak they haven't been great at this the environment oh it's not game freak right it was uh or was it game yeah, i'm, it I'm trying game to freak it, it's all right it was the uh remasters can... that weren't game freak for yeah platinum for yeah, it's Diamond gonna Pearl. be funny when we uh i'm gonna I'm gonna bookmark that thing you said where it's like oh it's the first time doing a fully open like 3d world uh 
Going to be interesting to juxtapose uh, this game with another uh, studio's first fully, well, <laughs> not full open world, but open world enough uh, RPG that also released this week that most people probably don't even know exists. <laughs> Well, well, we'll yeah. put that in the back of our heads. But yeah, so that RCS, the environments, people kind of criticized. And I think genuinely they were not great. But it was kind of like people let it slide because it's like this is a, like like Josh said, this is kind of a proven. This is a, not a demo, but kind of like learning the techniques, learning the how, how we can do like what, what are our capabilities? What do we want? Um, yeah, almost like a, a borderline proof of concept. You know, there was a fully big yeah. game in there. And like, you know, people mm. seem to, you know. Uh, and, and enjoy that new formula for the most part. And but you know it was still not immune. Dick, we saw it's it was still pretty buggy. It was still had performance problems. You know that's well documented. You know when it uh, for when it uh, launched earlier this year. And now you know we as the year goes by after RCS comes out, here comes the, the Game Freak and the Pokemon Company again. You know just out of nowhere to everyone's surprise, it's like oh there are no, there's a new mainline Pokemon game with new generation Scarlet and Violet. So not only are they uh, releasing Arceus earlier this year, but they're releasing like two more Pokemon games, which is our, our main lines with the new generation later this year. And like, of course, that will feel like that's at the time it felt overwhelming. It's like, that's crazy. Like I, you could you could easily just like push these off for a few months and like and everyone would be fine with that, you know, um, but here they are, you know, the, close to the end of the year, these come out and you know the the results speak for themselves, both in the reviews it, it it's gotten and all the uh, you know all the footage that people have gotten, whether they're you know using their the inbuilt you know sys, uh, screenshots, system. Yeah. yeah, screenshots, um, you know taking videos like with their capture cards, um, and so forth. And it's just and it's just it like I like I wonder like you know like I I, I played a very very tiny amount of, of Scarlet like I I have played a little bit of a, about it because I'm kind of curious to see like this new open world structure that they're messing with for a mainline but I I to me it's like okay actually you, there's there's a lot, there's a lot of bugs for sure and some of them are really fucking hilarious like the like the Golduck um walking through like the air like that that one was like okay that's pretty funny but it's like is there like an enjoyable game like you know beyond it all that's what I'm curious about. Were you going to say something, James? Because I, I know, like one of the, because I know one of the features of this game is like it's pretty like non-linear in terms of progression because you have like these three main paths to pursue in mm -hmm. this Pokemon. Like you have like the standard like gym leader path. Yeah, now you have like this uh, rival gang that you can like you know pursue, and now you, and then you have like another one that's like an archaeological sort of angle to like find these mm -hmm. like Titan Pokemon or something like that. So like oh, I, it, oh I see what James is trying to do here. So this like is it fun? Showing an example of performance. All right, so James is sharing. Well, uh, we won't be able to show this on the podcast, obviously, yeah, but he's just showing. He's podcast. just showing us what the hell like is going on with you, with you guys. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, he's, James he's just like started up some... like a, a live stream on Discord during this thing, but like for the purposes of an audio podcast, like is this is this a fun game? Yeah, it's a fun game. Um, like despite all of the issues, it's like. So, with everyone I've been playing the game with over the last like day or so, the one thing that we keep coming back to is that it's such a shame that these performance issues are here. Because even like the presentation stuff, whatever, it could be better, it should be better, but most people they don't actually care too much about that. That's kind of where though, Sword and Shield were. 
Yeah, but the performance issues have gotten to the point where even non like gamers and a lot of non gamers play Pokemon. In fact, I'd say most people who play Pokemon aren't really like, well, massive uh, gamers. Just 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 to make sure that, you know, we're careful with our wording. If they play Pokemon, they are gamers, but like that that's their one big release of the year that they yeah, really no, look that, forward that's to. What I'm, yeah, that's what <laughs> yeah. I meant. It's like not that they this, yeah, I this guess. is their jam. They 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 it's line up every kind year of, for it's kind of like you know, like people who only like only play one game per year, and that's like the yearly Madden game. Like that doesn't make them like not gamers. It's like they they you know they have their habits. They have and their they know style, what they like. What they like. Yeah, casual normies. <laughs> let's just say that. But yeah, the game itself. If it wasn't for the performance issues, this would probably be the. Well, it's already even with the performance issues, people are saying this is possibly the. Uh, best pokemon game in a long long time and i agree i agree with that like all right let's be let's be optimists yeah let's be let's be optimists and let's dig into that so james obviously you've out of all of us here have been able to put the most time into uh scarlet and violet we've kind of put 27 hours into it so far (laughs) oh wow yep for sure then um so we've we've kind of covered that you know it hasn't released in a great state, and we don't know exactly what sort of follow up support the game will get in terms of potentially fixing these if they if they are mostly caused by memory leaks. It seems like that's the sick case, but we don't know for certain. Um, but let's just focus on the positive. So you just started that this game has a lot going for it on a gameplay front. So let's let's dig into that uh, in your time with the game. Like how for those of us that are fringe Pokemon or have not been Pokemon fans for a while, like what does um, Scarlet and Violet do well in your first uh, couple dozen hours with the game. Well, first off, like my main my main issue that I had with Sword and Shield, and I know a couple of other people at least had this uh, same thought, was it was like even though you had the wild area, which meant that you could kind of choose what type of Pokemon you caught, and like it, there was a lot of freedom for what teams you could use. Outside of the wild area, the entirety of Sword and Shield was just completely hand handheld. Like in earlier Pokemon games, like obviously it was like very linear, but there were still like routes that you could explore that were off the beaten path that you did not have to go through or you could completely ignore. Like in Gen 3, you had the Shoal Cave or the upper uh, portion of the Meteor Falls. I forget the the exact name of that location. Uh, And Gen 2, you had all sorts of different routes you could explore or like different like exits to caves and whatnot. Gen 4, you had, like, entire routes, and you had, like, all the different, like, legendary Pokemon you could find in the post-game and whatnot. And Gen 8 was beyond all the other issues people had with, like, the Pokedex cut and, like, um, like the, like, presentation and performance. I know a lot of, like, Pokemon fans were just disappointed because to them, what Pokemon was, was a bit of that exploration and being able to discover things on your own. And they kind of just didn't have that option with Sword and Shield or Gen 8 in general, which was part of the reason I loved um, Legends Arceus, because it kind of brought that back. It wasn't fully open world, but it had, like, the open zones or all really big on their own right. And then it was just, like, kind of freeform. You where you yeah there was, was there, you had a narrative but you had side objectives and things like that yeah though funnily enough i'd say that legend arceus's uh narrative was one of the better ones in pokemon not that that's saying too much yeah it was um, all right for what it was like it, like i know I, I think 
someone in here, we were talking, obviously, when Pokemon released, we had a lot of chat, just like on our Discord, both on the staff side and on the public side about people's history with the series or whatever. I think it was Adam saying, like, he tried playing, was it Ultra Sun? And just, like, couldn't stand the um, the amount of dialogue and narrative in that game. Just just a lot of chatter. And Arceus uh, had some of that, but... Sun. Oh, just Sun. Just DS Sun. Um, but the Arceus... Or not, that was 3DS, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then Arceus had some of that, but it had plenty of times where it just kind of like shut up and let you play, as we like to say sometimes. Uh, and that was, I, I talked about how I hadn't played Pokemon since Gen 4, but I did play Arceus. So it's kind of interesting to think of a, a hypothetical universe where we had the Diamond and Pearl remakes uh, last November, and then we got Arceus this November because Arceus scored fairly well. And I know scores and everything, but it was just generally received as like, an interesting experiment. It had some shortcomings, but generally favorably favorably received. And it's it's interesting to think about, like, what if Arceus had another half year of polish, and then Gen four or sorry, why did I say four? Gen nine would be a next year thing, and we avoided all these issues. It just it's interesting to think about. We will never know for certain, like, why the decision was made to release all these games on such a rapid cadence. But I guess I'm trying. I guess I'm catching myself getting kind of back into the. The pessimism, but uh, James, you were talking. You be you're you're setting yourself up to basically say that it seems like Scarlet and Violet do manage to present its narrative in an interesting way and give you some freedom in what you're and what you're able to do. Well, I didn't say narrative per se, but uh, the gameplay wise, it's very well. Yeah, it's like very wide open, very fresh and free. Um, this game's world is absolutely massive. Like it's. Like, I knew, obviously, like, open world, it's going to be big, but I did not really anticipate it to be this big. <laughs> and there's a... But what I do like about this game, because I tried out Legend Arceus for a few hours back then, and I kind of got bored with it, but I, what I do like about Scarlet and Violet over Arceus is, like, everything is, like, seamless open world, not, like, open, like, like segmented zones. Like, Arceus, mm -hmm. like, for me, that, like, that was enough to be, like... I'm I'm not really like it it wants to present itself as an open world, but actually it's an open world in Arceus. While this one just really goes for it and like and you get like your like the legendary Pokemon vehicle like fairly early on to just like let you go wild uh with it and kinda explore at your leisure almost. Yeah, and, like, so and you're and there's like nothing and like when you enter a town you're not like going through like a like a zone barrier to like phase into town, you're just there. I was going to ask about that. Like town, there's no transition. There's no load. You just, you're just, you just arrive. Yeah. Yeah. Cause okay. to be honest, like I kind of was anticipating this after the sword and shield DLC. And part of the reason, like, despite like to be completely clear here, I was very down on sword and shield when it first came out. Uh, I believe our review is like one of like two or three on Metacritic that were a six out of 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've been um, on record stating that you that basically it was the DLC and the post-launch support that shifted your opinion on that game as a whole product. Yeah, yeah and, so. and, I'll, and I'll keep saying, like, all credits Nintendo, despite us uh, having a middling review for Sword and Shield's base game, they did ultimately send expansion pass code to us. So, like, they even they knew that there was something to to show for with the uh, DLC there. And um, But yeah, like, a lot of... Um, Scarlet and Violet's um, DNA can can be found in especially the Crown Tundra in the Sword and Shield DLC, because even if that wasn't a fully open world, a lot of what Scarlet and Violet ultimately does 
you can see the blueprints being drawn with that DLC. Because um, there is a town, a small town, but a town nonetheless. It's just plopped in a wild area. There's NPCs, there's side quests, there's like several different paths you can follow. And then there's even stuff like, oh, there's these cave networks that are just built into the wild area with like twists and turns and are all seamless. And it's like very clear that, okay, so they wanted to be able to do more in-depth routes and uh, make a, a more open world with the next game. And they wanted to do something more smaller in scope so they could get more used to the idea and get the tech uh, starting to work there. And like, despite the performance issues here, I want to say like, I think that the density of the, these environments is really impressive. Like there's Pokemon everywhere. They're not just standing around. They're like actually interacting with the environment to a degree that even like Art Legends Arceus didn't really do. Yeah, like, I saw I saw like a like a, a clip of a streamer like uh, navigating like this rainy, windy environment in Scarlet Violet, <laughs> and you saw like Pokemon like being flown into the by the wind because like the wind was that strong. And like I don't know if that's a bug or if that's intended behavior, but like I'm like that's cool, you know? That makes the the, the world feel more alive and like interactive. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it looked crazy. Yeah, and then it's like if you're like going on the open water and you're you're like waiting around, you'll sometimes see like Psyducks in the water and uh, they'll just be lying on their backs snoozing as they're like literally floating down a river or something. Yeah, and that's that's neat. And like there was even like one that's like it was clearly like meant to be a bug showcase, but I found it funny and like a really like amusing positive way where the the battle was initiated and like and like in Legends Arceus when battles are initiated it's like all in the field it doesn't like phase into like a specific arena or battle arena or anything so there was this one battle where the someone uh got their Fue Coco the fire starter out against like this magic carp that's like in the water uh, I don't know if it's a magic carp or it was like another Pokemon um but like that when when their Pokeball went out like the Fue Coco was like in the water and like just sunk into like the the bottom of the the water, mm-hmm. the body of water, and then just, you just saw the and you saw the other Pokemon just like slowly look down at it as it sinks <laughs> to the bottom. And I'm yeah. like, that's funny as hell. It just reminds me of like whenever you step off a ledge in uh, Dark Souls accidentally into water, and it's just like just thinking somebody doing it out of that, and just like having the you died. Uh, before <laughs> yeah. Coco died. Yeah, and like that, those are like that's the kind of stuff that like sure, like people will say, oh, that's that's like. That's it's a bug. That's like an un- yeah, that's unintended behavior, but that's like really funny. It's like that makes the environment like matter in in, in a way that like people didn't intend it for to be, but I wish they kind of leaned more into that. Yeah, like I think where I've landed uh, specifically is that this game is a technical mess. I've been able to overcome it because I enjoy the gameplay loop enough, and mm-hmm. I do see the vision. I do think that underneath all the bugs, there's I think a lot of people are kind of not doing the game enough credit for just how ambitious it actually is. Because mm. it's like, a lot of these performance issues are definitely CPU bottleneck related. And I can understand why, because so much is actually happening in the open world with Pokemon and whatnot and asset streaming and all that. It's like, it's one of those things where it's just like, <sighs> the performance sucks. Not going to not gonna sugarcoat it any two ways, but... It's one of those things where if you know even a little bit about like the Switch's hardware and like what this game is doing, and then you like look around, it's like I can see why it's struggling. It's like yeah. it makes oh. sense. 
Well, have um, you tried out the the co-op? Uh, yes. Mode yes. Of this? So, so how how does the how is the co-op in this? Because one of the big features they announced early for this uh, <laughs> these these games is like you have up to four players co-op and they can go like any direction to explore the open world if yes. they want to explore together or go split off on their own and whatever. How how is that holding up? So there are limitations to the co-op. You can't like join another person's like wild Pokemon battle or anything like that. But it is very seamless. And one thing that's I think very important for a lot of people is that when you join someone else's co-op session or world for a co-op session, you don't have to worry about not being able to progress your story. Like okay. you can like you anyone in a co-op session, you can have four different people doing four different things in store in their individual stories completely seamlessly no problems whatsoever that's actually really cool and like that's uh, that's kind of i think that's like one of like the the hidden big features of that game of this game and like one of the biggest strengths it's like i know we've seen it a lot before with like other uh games with like co-op uh where they have to like make a co-op room or co-op session and then there's like certain limitations like only the host can do this only the host can progress totally only the host can do that and you're like more of like a like a kind of like in the passenger seat can't really uh, do things on your own but like yeah. hearing that, like that's really really cool. That like, for, I assume like this like these set of games are like going to be like a big like, just like communication hub for people to just like hang out there. It's like, hey, you wanna you wanna play Pokemon? And sure, like, and they're just like maybe they're just doing their own thing, just like enjoying each other's uh, company while they're just like doing their own thing in Pokemon, but together in the same world. And that's really yeah. really cool. And it's like the moment, like especially last night, that really stood out to me is like. Four of us were just going different directions, doing different things. We found a really, really weird Pokemon. And then just all of a sudden we meet up and it's like, we're, we're like, okay, let's show each other what we caught. And then it's like this, uh, I guess, spoiler warning for a very early Pokemon, if we want to put this in the podcast, like just to say, um, uh, Buddy throws out Toad School, which is a not regional variant, but more like a regional cousin of Tentacle. Uh, where instead of it being a uh, a uh, like a squid, it's like a weird mushroom plant thing that stands on two legs, and it's just like the All funniest right. fucking thing I've ever seen. And then you like, then you throw it out, and it's like, okay, it looks funny because it's like standing on its tentacles like legs. And then you start moving, it starts moving with you, and it's like flailing its tentacle legs, running after you at a really high speed. Mm-hmm. Then you really read cool. the Pokedex, and it's like. Oh yeah, this thing can run up to thirty miles per hour. Holy shit! <laughs> and, and everyone was just laughing their ass off. Yeah, but I, I imagine like think about like how this will like uh, this will be great for like you know uh, like uh, like friend groups, friend circles, especially for younger kids. It's like you know you, you and like you have your some buddies from school. It's like hey, after school, let's go like play some Pokemon together, and like that's just easy now, and just like something you get to do together, and you know that's that's awesome. Yeah. And it's that's like, awesome. There's this like. Um, there's this like a uh, legendary hunt where it's like even early on you can kind of see them in the environment where there's like these stakes in the ground and like each region has like eight of these colored stakes and if you find all of them then you can unlock a gate to uh like try and catch a legendary pokemon it's like that's another thing you can do in co-op it's like you can just have people like scour the environment for these individual like stakes and it's like hey i found one over here it's like hey i found one over there and it's like you're just like kind of it's like one of those things where it's like there's not too much like hard baked into the game design about the co-op co-op it's like very hands-off but it's like because it's hands-off and because it lets you just play the game normally just as if you're like offline playing a single player 
there's a lot you can do with a friend group there to just like make your own gameplay there and it works really really well how does the um battle system work when it comes to like uh, multiple people like you know in the same <laughs> side can like they can they join each other's battles um, uh, no okay you can only join each other's battles for raid battles okay um and the way it works if you're in a co-op session is you need to uh basically somebody like there's a bunch of different raid dens all over the world but specific ones will be tied to different people so like maybe one raid den will be tied to the host maybe one will be tied to like let's say hypothetically me and or another person or the fourth and you find a raid then and it's like, okay, you can tell what type of uh, terror type it is by the color of the uh, raid den. Um, it's funny because I'm looking at these and it's like, these look exactly like the monster dens from <laughs> Monster Stories 2. Yeah, I was thinking that too, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, you can like see these and it's like, okay, so I there's this thing that's like a terror type that's uh, water or fire. And it's like, I kind of want to see what it is, but it's not my raid den. So I'm going to, call my buddy over who this is their raid then we can see what it is and see if we want to do we want to tackle it and try and grab this pokemon for a party and whatnot and it's like it's a very seamless experience it feels good and credit where credit is due the performance does not get worse in co-op <laughs> hooray <laughs> there you yeah, go the way the way the way you describe this though it's kind of like so obviously arceus kind of set up a lot of the groundwork for more open world Pokemon game, but was single player. And it seems like the one of the big marketing selling point aspects of this game was the four player co-op. And it sounds like you have only good things to say about it. So it kind of now I'm, I'm just kind of thinking of this uh, like, is this a proven of like basically this will pay dividends down the road for future Pokemon games where now they've got this system kind of worked out they've got kind of the framework identified about how co-op can work in a Pokemon game that has an open world uh, um, the, setting the to it one thing I will say the one thing I'll say like I guess there's no guarantee that this game will get DLC or like a third game or whatever because like X and Y didn't, so who knows? Mm -hmm. But I'm pretty sure this game will get some sort of DLC. Whether like what the scope of it is, who knows? People have noticed that um, if you look at the world map and you look at the upper right corner, it's like, huh, there's a uh, an area that's shaded off in the upper right corner, and then you think, huh, this mm. is Pokemon Spain. We already had Pokemon France. Who knows? But um. And then people also notice that some of the Generation 6 Pokemon that, again, Pokemon France seem to have gotten a lot of extra like TLC with this game. So who knows what's up there? But regardless of what the DLC is or if it happens or whatnot, this game is going to get patched. Like, no doubt about it, especially if it gets like DLC. They're going to improve the performance over time. I assume it's going to be like Sword and Shield where it's like the third version will instead just be updates dlc that sort of thing and there are some like pokemon that we know that aren't in the game yet but are probably going to be added with updates or dlc whatever down the road so right now the performance is rough you can't i i feel like most people can get over it eventually but it's definitely not great but if you're a Pokemon fan, or even if you're last, like maybe you did not like jive with uh, Sword and Shield much like I didn't. This is really 
really a breath of fresh air. And it's if it wasn't for the very unfortunate performance issues, there's no doubt in my mind that the conversation around this game would be about how it's like a massive return to form and like a massive uh, um, change as far as uh, everything about the formula goes. I hate to keep going back to this, but the way you described all the potential that it has and had or had and has uh, just like, man, what if they had another year to work on this? You know, it seems like their, their ideas are great. The, uh, you know, the vision that they have is solid. You know, the progression of the well-worn systems and bringing it into like a new era is good. It's just that the execution was crunched, like both literally and just like for some reason, we got to get two big games out this year, the Arceus yeah. and the, the the new gen. So therefore, we all have to suffer for it and see what could have been in a way. Yeah. Were you going to say something, Chow? I was going to say, good luck with that. I mean, don't they pump out a Pokemon game every year, regardless of the circumstances? I, well, I, we talked about time... how they um, we talked about how they did the uh, the DLC instead. So it's it's ever since Gen Eight, it's been either a game or a major DLC. I'm trying to think when was the last time they skipped a year, and I think they might have skipped a year between Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire and Sun and Moon. I think. Like, I have never seen a Pokemon game being delayed to improve performance issues. It's all about the box, so it's rip for this game. Mm-hmm. Well, I do know that like back in the day, like Diamond and Pearl got delayed. Which You're is right. Why uh, they had they had the uh, like additional like season of the anime that was about like the battle frontier and like Emerald or whatnot because they needed like filler, and that's also why a bunch of like spinoff games and whatnot had like little teaser Pokemon for Gen 4, like with Munchlax and uh, Bonsley. So it's like it's happened before, and uh, I feel like if any year should have had a delay, it probably should have been this year, because they already released the Pokemon game. Arceus sold over 15 million copies. <laughs> they did not need to release this now, even if it's going to sell like 20 million. <laughs> and you're right, uh, Alpha Ruby. Like, they're apparently in 2015. Uh, yes, yes, I'm on Wikipedia and educating myself. Uh, Omega Ruby, Alpha Sapphire, 2014, Sun and Moon, 2016, 2015. We got some games like Super Mystery Dungeon and things like that. Yeah. So just some spinoffs. But yeah, um, it's so it'll be interesting to see if this game can get some post-launch support. Not in terms of DLC because I'm sure we'll get that, but in terms of hopefully we can look through the rear view mirror by the end of the year or so and be like, man, remember the state that Scarlet and Violet launched in? Good thing it got fixed or whatever. Like, we can only hope and dream. Uh, Did they ever improve uh, Sword and Shield on the base uh, game? The wild areas never really got improved now. So that's not a good precedent. (laughs) But also the problems with this game's performance and, like, glitchiness overall is, like, it, like, Sword and Shield's performance, most people were able to ignore. This game's performance glaringly obvious i feel like there's a much better chance this gets fixed than what happened with sword and shield who is your favorite uh so um i want to be uh you know cognizant of spoiling people but an early new pokemon that you put on your team like who's your earliest new who's your early newcomer that you've really enjoyed like using and having around uh i've really enjoyed um Tink-a-tink, which is a steel fairy type. 
it's really cute and it's also got like an interesting typing i know we've had like very skill types in the past but i never really explicitly like a uh a, a frontline attacker like you had ones that were like support like cleft key and weren't exactly great but uh just a really neat like evolutionary line that has good designs good stats and just seems like a great time but honestly most of the new pokemon this one have been really good I like I'm to me, even though fairy type has been around a while, I still think of fairy type as like new, new. Um, I forget what almost a decade. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I, I still think about the fairy type as like a, like a, a foreign thing to me, too. I'm like, yeah, man, yeah. I, I, I sure are crazy these days. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I still have that phase. <laughs> I forget what Pokemon it was. Uh, the one of the man, my, my memory just stinks now. Uh, when I, my, my main team on Arceus. I forget if I had a fairy type Pokemon or if I just had a Pokemon with a fairy type move, but I was like, wow, like this move is amazing. Like it's good against dragon and, or whatever else it was. I don't remember the details, but like, I still think a fairy type is like the weird mystery, like add on like, Oh, like this is a, this is a thing. Now there's this thing that you have to actually account for. And actually is really good, you know, to have on your team. Yeah. It was very funny because it was explicitly added in generation six because gen five was just absolutely swamped with a uh, dragon type Pokemon in the uh, meta. So they were like, we need to do something about this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, thank you for uh, sharing your initial impressions on Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, whether or not we get a chance to talk about it next week, or if it won't be until the end of the year, I do know that we have a few people that are at least looking to, if not play this themselves, just kind of keep tabs on it. Cause you know, Pokemon new generation releases are always kind of an event and just to see what people's ending thoughts are, how significant the, uh, long-term, you know, impressions are affected due to the, uh, unfortunate performance issues are and whether or not that ultimately uh kind of leaves you know an impact on this game's overall reception uh, as as we move forward into generation nine of pokemon and now the second game that we've got listed here for our podcast document is like this is probably the most complete 180 that we can do within a genre based site uh for game discussions uh on our roster so another release that is josh i'm gonna have to punt this to you you are going to talk about Midnight Suns to us. Now, is this game released just yet? I thought this was a December release, but so you've got this is an early December release. But we have uh, the but I got uh, code for the full game, and then the embargo on there's there's one of the embargoes is the general impressions embargo, which you get which did lift uh, earlier this week, and you can talk about everything you've played up to a certain story point, which I haven't got like reached yet. So I can talk about like the whole. Like about nine and a half, uh, nine to nine and a half hours I've played of it so far, because uh, I haven't reached that yet. I'm just uh, gonna say, like, before we even start talking about it, the fact that they sent out code so early and allowed people to start talking about their impressions so early, just that's one of those things where it's like they have a lot of confidence in this, and it makes me kind of like perk my eyebrows up a bit and be like, huh, I wonder. It's a yeah, it's a really interesting game. So for people who don't know, this is Marvel's Midnight Suns. This is the Marvel game. That is being developed by the XCOM developers for Axis. Um, so this is kind of a for a lot of tactical RPG fans. This is kind of on their radar if they liked XCOM. Um, this is like we've talked about this when Scott went to uh, like a preview event and we had like a, I mean, he wrote up a preview. He did a video preview. So that's why I didn't really, really type up anything for the site because you know it'd be redundant. But mm -hmm. you know, I, but I'm I'm starting to dig into this now. 
and going like you know beyond what what we've seen so far and so forth. And I think it's a really interesting game. It's the, you know we have to say time and time again this is not Marvel but with XCOM. You know there's there's definitely a departure from the XCOM formula. This is more along the lines of something like a Slay the Spire esque type of game because it is very card based deck building based. Um, you do you do have like you know the the tactical like DNA of an XCOM in here, but is but the, the way it operates is not like XCOM. Uh, when it comes to like engaging with the battle system, um, so you know the general storyline setup that they've uh, talked about in this game, it's like uh, you create your own like main character in this game. Your your uh, main character is like a, the 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 child of like the main antagonist, Lilith. Uh, Hydra has uh, resurrected Lilith and is wreaking havoc on, on the world, and the only way. The the Avengers and the and the Midnight Suns uh, groups can like uh, combat her is by resurrecting your OC. So you can um, you know uh, have a male or female OC. You have uh, some options that you can tinker around to like uh, customize them um, and make them look really really goofy. Like this game's hair options is really something else. Everything is looks. There are some really wild hair options in this game, and uh, of course by my my character. Looks like an absolute dork, and I kind of it's like it's like a kind of a like a a late nineties. Uh, I don't know how how to describe it. I, I'll probably show pictures like when the review goes live and stuff. It's a uh, it's wild what you can do with your character here, but um, a, a lot of the I, I think the first thing I want to mention is the game has a lot a lot of onboarding. Um, like your first four to four and a half hours is a lot of introduction and tutorials because like this is also catering to people who are totally disengaged from Marvel. So you have to kind of go like they, they kind of do like the grounder of like, okay, what is the Avengers? What are the Midnight Suns? What are, who are these characters? Who is Blade? Who is, who is Nico Minoru? Who is Magic? Um, who, you know, and you get, you kind of, you kind of get a, Included on like Iron Man and Doctor Strange early on and so forth, but there's a lot of like kind of establishing like the groundwork for those people who don't necessarily know these superheroes from there. And you kind of and you go uh, and your main character uh, serves as that like they they have this like the kind of the ideal narrative structure and reason for that of like hey you have this OC character they don't know any of these superheroes they don't know what's been going on for the past you know three centuries since they last were last like active you know um so you kind of get so you kind of get clued in on that you gotta kind of get clued in on like okay um how does the battle system work and uh and how does like the this whole abbey home base work like i think the one of the things that really caught me off guard is like sure you have this new battle system and they they teach you that like one of the first things you do when you started the game is like you get a battle tutorial and like you know how does the the card system work? It's fairly fairly simple in terms of like how you interact with it. Uh, basically, you can have up to three characters uh, in battle. Um, your main character does not have to be always be one of the three. Um, there are like like general missions and story missions. In story missions, your OC main character has to be one of those characters. But for the other like mission type, like the general missions that aren't story missions, you can just have like three Marvel superheroes. Uh, whoever you want um, deployed on there. Uh, each of the three characters that you deploy have um, uh, eight cards on them, so you're working with a, a, a maximum deck size of 24. Um, 
when your when when your turn starts, you have certain limitations. You have three card plays, so you can only play three cards. But there are stipulations to this, like there are these uh, cards called quick cards. Like you'll you'll know them by just their name, like quick slash or quick or, or quick blast or like quick. You know, it'll say quick and then something else. And then if you KO an opponent with this quick card, it will not consume a card play. So there are ways to manipulate the system so you're not confined to only always play three cards and the, 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 that's that. You can fiddle around with like the, the system in that sort of way where you can like kind of get more, get the most actions out of your turn in the, in the most uh, efficient way possible in the sense that like you try to uh, disable opponents, take out opponents, try to basically try to limit the opponent's actions as much as you can before they get uh, their turn because they they hurt. Like they they um their damage numbers are no joke. Like at the at the beginning of the game you're only confined to the normal difficulty, but as you play you're unlocking higher difficulty levels. And these difficulty levels have like are basically good because um you get more resources out of like missions. You get more experience. At, at, but as the trade-off is, enemies enemies do get harder. So I'm like playing on the difficulty uh, above normal now, which is like heroic one. And enemies like really start hurting at, the, at this difficulty. So I'm really like pushed to like think about like how do I get the most out of this turn? So my incoming damage in the next enemy's turn is like as minimal as possible. Um, so, uh, so outside of the, the the those limitations, the three card turns, you have uh, two redraws in the sense that um, if there are a, a certain card that you can't like do anything with at that time, you can actually like you know swap it out and like draw a new card uh, for it. Um, this redraw mechanic does like um, interact with certain character abilities, like Iron Man, for example has cards where they will get, gain an additional effect if you redraw them so you don't necessarily like you know uh replace some of iron man's cards they just gain additional effects um and then there's also uh, a limitation of like one move per turn in the sense that you can only move one of your characters in their positions um uh, manually um because the, like moving around in like uh the battlefield is very 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 beneficial because there are some moves that um knock back enemies so uh depending on your position you can like kind of almost like it's almost like bowling where you can like use an ability and think of like the enemy that you hit as like a bowling ball and like you can like knock them to another enemy uh in that sense you can also use like that um like that move function to kind of line up um certain abilities that might like go like this in a certain like angle or in a straight line so you like maybe want to like manually position a character to uh, fully utilize their ability that'll hit like a lot of enemies in that trajectory so that's why they limit that move function so like to only one move per turn because that like being able to manually move a character is like already very a very powerful tool in that certain aspect and so throughout throughout these battles, like uh, as you play cards, some of them will earn this heroism resource, which you can use to uh, activate like other cards that are like, more powerful or have more powerful utilizations uh, to them. You can also use this heroism resource that you build up to uh, interact with the environment. So say like you could, like there's like a big trash can uh, that you can throw over to an opponent, 
like to to use that you would need like one heroism but uh but that does not like consume like a card play so there's that's another way you can like get more actions and damage out of your turn without having to be confined to the card play mechanic you can like use like that resource instead uh, uh as long as you have it so it's a good like interesting like tug of war you have between like what your limitations are in combat and what your combat options are in battle and there and like in the ways that like the game has like very very varied objectives uh to let you play around with that so like there'll be like maybe a, an objective it's like hey there's a civilian you know, so you might have to like you might have like, a rescue civilian card for that mission or that'll consume a card play so you have to like take into account okay i can i can only do these actions because i want to save that that civilian before like un, like uh, before this corrupted venom like throws a boulder at them and kills them you know stuff like stuff like that to consider or like this hydra chopper is gonna lift off in three turns how do i make it so i'm like minimizing the damage that i'm intaking while trying to make a concentrated effort to take down this chopper before it uh, lifts off um so there's like a lot of like varied scenarios that really really push you to think very tactically about like um about, about like your capabilities and what you're able to do without having to sacrifice that many characters to do it like even a when a character falls in battle like that's not it for them they're not like permadeath or anything you can like resurrect them um um with uncertain difficulties so like a normal and like heroic like i think in normal you'll you can like resurrect them two times uh, and heroic you only resurrect them once and then like higher difficulties they won't let you res at all yeah um so it, it's kind of really just pushing you to think about like how do i how do i really like get the most out of like each of my turns and each each action so um, i have two and, comments and, based on what right. you've discussed so far now one of these is pretty benign but the other yeah. one i almost feel scared to say the benign okay. one is uh when you talk about, so I'm not an XCOM expert, but I did play and beat, I forget which one came first, Enemy Unknown or Enemy Within. Whichever enemy one unknown. came out first, uh, I did mm -hmm. play and beat that. So not not several times, only played it through at once. So, I, But I do, I have played that. And the positioning that you've talked about where positioning is important and then the game realizes it's important, so they limit how often you can do it. To me, that feels, at least philosophically, very XCOM-like. Um but then the second thing I want to comment on is you talked about how I think that, you know, some people will think like it's 2022 turn-based games are archaic. Anything that has any sort of turn doesn't, shouldn't exist anymore. But I do think that turn-based games in general um, or round-based or whatever other variant, there's a lot you can do with manipulation of turns or trying to like have additional mechanics that will alter how many turns you get or how many turns your enemy get. And whether that's like something that is like, I think of, I'm going to pull up a few examples here. Like Faye tactics was a strategy RPG an indie one that came out in like 2019 where it's a purely turn-based, but you would also be able to cast spells at any time. So there's basically a way you can manipulate manipulate it that way. Or this is the part I was scared to say. Shin Megami Tensei. I've only played five, and I know that I'm in a room of people who have been experts of that series. Um, just the uh, the weakness mechanic on that game, where you want to maximize the number of abilities. You talked about how dangerous the enemies are in Midnight Suns, and in Shin Megami Tensei Five. If you're not minimizing how often the enemy gets to act relative to your actions, you're gonna have a rough time. So you have to have good uh composition in terms of like being able to in that game specifically hit weaknesses or 
uh, cover resistances or things like that. So I just think uh, the 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 hallmark of a good game based on a turn-based system is giving the player good, clever, interesting, well-designed ways in order to tilt the odds in their favor. If it's one turn for you versus one turn for the enemy always, and you can never change it, that can be a little bit boring and flat and not interesting. So it sounds like Mid- uh, Midnight Suns does a bit to kind of keep the player engaged and give them like, yeah, here's how the here's how the fundamentals work, but we also give you these these tools in your in your arsenal in order to like tilt things in your favor uh, based on what the what the needs of the specific you know battle are or whatever. Yeah, it, it, it's really very like all the all the heroes I've played so far are have very very like different sorts of like move sets and things that they specialize in. Very clear pros and cons of them like for example magic she's a she's a swordswoman magic swordswoman that can open portals with her with her magic sword so one of her like hallmark features is she has cards where she can open up portals and you can manipulate like when you open up a portal you can uh, manipulate the trajectory of like when when uh when she uses like a knockback skill uh the instead of like knocking back to like where they normally would go like in normal physics instead like when, you, when she knocks back she knocks them into like an active portal and you manipulate the trajectory from there where, where they go so like one of like uh, like environments i was in was like hey i'm on top of a building there's like an open gap in the building where they can i can fling them off so i open a portal that faces out uh out of the building and the enemies that i not i knock into the portal they have a, a chance to just instantly die because they got flung off the building um the uh, another uh thing that is like uh u- unique for, like for a character is uh Nico Minoru has like this staff that she can't really control so she's kind of like the kind of like the roulette character where a lot of her cards are like this card when you activate it you can do this this or this um so like one of the, her spe- spells is like this spell uh does a lot of damage is 40 40 points of damage but you cannot control who it targets and if it KOs the, the its target it will do a second cast for free right there and then and like and that's that's really interesting to think about of like how to manipulate that like the the weird like strengths of these characters of like there's like very uh, like uh, very unvarying conditions and circumstances in the environment like what i really like is ghost rider where he can actually like open like a portal to hell like a hole to hell and he and he has and he has like an ability to like like not like he can create a whole like a, a, a like an environmental hole to like fling characters into and they have a chance to like just like fall in as well and he's also he also has like a super powerful card where like he, he like he uses his motorcycle to run uh uh run uh, it over like a lot of enemies in a straight line that does deals a ton of damage but uh, uh but the trade-off to it is it, it discards your whole hand as well when you use it so it's just a lot of interesting like trade-offs that like are very in the spirit of the characters of like there's like a good representation of their powers and there's like an interesting way that they're utilizing it like blade you know he has he has like uh really great like uh offensive cards it has like life steal and has and like ha- has a lot of like ways to cause his enemies to like inflict the bleed status and then once they're once they're in bleed status he has other cards that can proc off of that and uh take advantage off of that which is you know very in the uh spirit of blade a vampire hunter in that aspect so i think like the the battle system and like the the tactics of it are actually really compelling and interesting to play um the thing that i'm like 
kind of mixed on uh, on this aspect is the one aspect and one half of the game is all that like tactics interesting uh, ways to engage with the battle system etc the other is like this abbey home base where your home base is like um this abbey on an island that's like in another dimension and like so like there's this whole island and then like this abbey and like the the size of this like island is like bigger than you would imagine it's like and it's fully explorable it's kind of funny because when you're like uh running around in this like kind of casual like home base area like your running animation like reminds you of like fucking shepherd from mass effect strolling around with his like kind of like like jog almost um and a lot of like the tutorials you get early on in this game is like kind of double that like like you spend more time engaging with tutorials of like the abbey stuff more so than like the battle system stuff and a, a lot of this is like kind of building upon like this original storyline for this original character like there's like a lot of lore and a lot of collectibles and a lot of journals to kind of like really flesh out like the the setting and like where this character comes from and like all the mythos that um surrounding lilith and like in this character called the caretaker and like and it's sort of like um like these characters pass and what happened to them because there's like a lot of like you know intimate storyline that being you know like the the son of like a son of a woman or son or daughter of a woman depending on your original character um of a woman who um has now turned into a demon now possessed by a demon and now you have like this um and caretaker is like as the her like you know name implies like she was the one that took you in after like you know you kind of had this falling out with your mom and um and like in this island with the abbey where the, like you know the the that she's been tending to there's like it holds all sorts of secrets uh and so i just gotta like, say like sorry to sorry to talk over yeah. you but i just i, just, I really want to get this in like when you were talking yeah. about the uh the different characters like how they're they're um arsenal their deck so to speak is like themed to something that makes sense to the character talking about a lot of like team building and composition aspects a lot of things that adam specifically tends to like call out in when, when he plays like dungeon rpgs or things like that or crpgs um making like a good team that really synergizes well and like tinkering and those are like micromanaging that sounds like to me that like sings to me but then as before right before you got into it i'm like too bad the game just seems kind of sorry to be so judgmental but like bland and i when i remember like some of the early marketing of this game i remember they put like a lot of focus on this abby thing and they're like this is the first marvel experience where you have an original character and you get to learn about the history of all of your allies and i'm just like who is this for like not to besmirch people's you know what the what what they like or don't like but it just I have a hard time finding that compelling where it's like, oh, I get to learn about how Blade feels about some thing and read his journal. Like to me, I'm just like, uh, can we just get to the good stuff? I don't know. Like when the way you're describing I, I, I all this Abby stuff, that's yeah. kind of what's going on. Yeah, in like right you know, another couple of is like is like a lot of like uh hanging out with like the characters, you know, as they're chilling out at the Abbey too. So, like, I mean, not all of it is bad, you know, like, like, ha- like reading a book by the fire with Blade and like kind of just like hanging out with him and like, and like they kind of like clown out, like, like they kind of like kind of like that Marvel like wink at the the audience, like kind of dialogue of like kind of acknowledging like the Blade movies and like, mm-hmm. uh, think about like, you know, would you ever star in a movie Blade? Like, what would you like to do in that movie? What would you call it? You know, maybe like Blade is just okay, you know, and, you know, stuff <laughs> uh- like that. 
uh, uh, they, know, actually like, but, well, they actually do that like in, in, in that, you know, okay that's that's yeah. good all right I'll, I'll give them that yeah like some of those like pretty like um amusing like I'll, I'll give them that too like a, a lot like a lot of characterizations are like fun, actually pretty fun like nico minoru is like such like a she's such a sweetheart like in, in this game like i really like her the way that they depict her character because like a lot of that character is like you know the like trying to trying to fit in with the group um because like you know from your, like your character's perspective like you're very much an outsider at first you're kind of like oh there's, there's like this fucking legendary hunter that like, like existed three centuries ago that like uh like combated Lilith and like everyone's kind of like looking like oh I don't know about this guy and Nico's like tried her best like ha- have you like fit in with the group you know and uh, and she kind of like the way the like kind of the they how the voice actress like delivers her lines along with the the facial animation and the the tone the, the way they convey it is like it's pretty it, it it's like it's like a very earnest effort to like make that character like very very like relatable uh in that aspect which is i admire i admire like uh that stuff and i think i think a lot of the hangout stuff is like works for me you know i think i, I do like that aspect of like um like just that downtime in between missions of like just being able to like kind of chill with the with the group like i didn't think i would like it but like as as time has gone on like they really earned my respect for it they're like oh yeah you know this is all right this is all right this is, uh, this is nice but I think, but I think uh, a lot of the other stuff I was talking about, like, is like exploring the island and the abbey. Like, the, there's like even there's this sort of whole thing, kind of like a, a Metroid S thing, where you gain these words of power, like runes almost, where there are like inaccessible areas on this island that you cannot get to unless you like find like the appropriate words of power to like like make a platform show up so you can like travel over there and see what's over there and like and and they and they emphasize after the story like all of this is optional you can do it at your own pace you don't have to engage with it if you don't want to you know but it's like it's like it's it almost feels like a a check mark that they had to do for like game events like okay this this feature has to be in no matter what it feels like almost like a check checklist that they adhered to for that part of the game that like i just there's like i i shake you not there's like four different types of journals in this game, there's like a, a journal for the caretaker. There's like a journal for like Scarlet Witch. There's a journal for like another thing about the uh, a person on the island, you know. And a lot of it is like okay, whatever. And there's like just so many collectibles that like I I don't really care. And there's also like oddly enough, there's also these chests around the island that you cannot even just open. You need arcane keys. So like it's really weird at first when like you get to like run around and you just you see like an arcane chest right nearby and it's oh you can't you can't open this you don't have an arcane key I'm like what the fuck is an arcane key you know please and, don't like, tell me that's like a a purchase microtransaction so it's not you you earn these okay. uh, through like through like side missions like there's like some general missions that have like um, these optional objectives that you can toggle on and like some of like some of the rewards I saw was like oh you can get like arcane keys if you like do this optional objective this character in it and like this option objective is like fling like three people into like magic portals for that mission i'm like okay sure so that's not something you can purchase now that you did m- mention it though there is like a marketplace for this game where you can like purchase cosmetics for characters um i don't know the exact um exchange like you do see like they'd use a f- form of in-game currency but you can but use real life money to like buy this currency and then that that the the money that you put uh, put in is like converted into that currency, and then you use that currency to buy these cosmetics. Um, I like it. It'll display how much money, like what the conversions rate are, conversion rates are for like real life money into like this this currency to buy those cosmetics. But it doesn't 
show how much these cosmetics are uh, at face value because if, if the code that I got, it just shows that I own all of them. So it just doesn't show a price, it just says owned. I'm like, okay, I guess. Um, but from what I can tell, these are only cosmetics only, just skins. They don't provide any benefit. There are um, earnable outfits you can get for your Hunter OC that do provide passive benefits. But from what I can tell at the moment, these are all earnable in the game. You can't buy any of them with real money. There's no way to buy any of them with real money. Like You need to actually like achieve like in-game objectives, whether it's like progressing the main story up to the certain point or like getting like, you know, filling out some of like the side collectibles and like once you learn like all these collectibles, you unlock this outfit that has this passive. So that's from what I from what I understand at the moment, like there's no way to like kind of buy power for you. You have to earn that with the like unlockable outfits for your hunter character. Um I know being able whole- to say that it's cosmetic only, not pay to win is like that's a good bar to clear. That's a very important bar to clear. Yeah. But it also just seems kind of unfortunate that we live in an era that if this game had released on the PS2, and this is me being a boomer, I suppose. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I know. Uh, where if Blade had four alternate outfits, you would just earn those and then you yeah. would just use them. And now it just kind of stinks where it's like, do you want Blade to have outfit? alternate color b will give us 499 or, or whatever it's just kind of like man like yeah i know it's cosmetic but just, yeah. it just kind of it's, it's still a sour taste like like the spider-man symbiote suit very iconic suit for uh spider-man mm. that's that's something you have to buy you know that's not something you, you earn in the game from what i i can tell it's also weird too because you also have another form of currency in the game. like this game has credits uh which is like a currency used for like mainly for crafting you have gloss, which is like a currency you use mainly for like unlocking cosmetics, which is basically so basically like uh in this game, there are the ways you engage with the Abbey, you can like decorate like the Abbey with like certain like pictures or comic covers that you earn, but the, in order to like place them in the Abbey, you need to like um use this gloss currency um to do it. If you want to like put like accessories on your character, like say mine has like a red hair hairband um and also like aviator sunglasses you need to uh, use this gloss currency gloss is not the currency that you pay with real money that's a whole other separate thing but like gloss is something you earn as you play like you know missions and so forth but it's just like it just feels it just feels weird that like there's like a lot of this stuff is like locked behind like this gloss currency like even like taking off pictures from the abbey to replace it with another one that requires uh, that requires a certain amount of gloss to do you know um it's weird. It's very weird. Like even like unlocking like uh, alternate colors for like outfits that requires gloss, and and that that gloss uh, currency only goes up with the rarity of outfits. So like if you try to change the colors of like a legendary outfit, that all could take more gloss than if you're trying to change the outfit of a rare outfit. You know, and it's like it's so fucking weird. I'm <laughs> like, um, okay, I guess it's so. Like this all feel a little bit, but it feels so triple A video gamey. It does. Like, like let's 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 make sure we get players. They pull out their spreadsheets or whatever, so they can um, account for all this stuff and make sure that they they figure out the most efficient way to farm their gloss. Like, oh, if you do this mission over and over, I don't know, like how the game is set Mm -hmm. up exactly, but that seems like that's just what it's going to be. Like, why does this have to be a currency in the first place? Because people people will just find the most efficient way to get it and then just do that like out of necessity and just be like, okay, this is how you get gloss really effectively if you want to decorate your room. 
Yeah. I don't know. That so, seems, yeah. that, that's another thing where it's like this game's core gameplay. And we'll probably wrap this up, uh, try to wrap this up in the next five minutes yeah. just because we have a couple other games to get to. Right. But this game's core gameplay loop seems inherently well designed and well made. And even though I know it's like the superhero, people take it or leave it in terms of how they feel about that. Um, it seems like it is a, a way that they can have interesting characters with different capabilities that they can almost assign different classes to in a way with their different uh, arsenals. But then just everything around it is just, it has, it's, a, it's like a game with a good idea with a bunch of caveats is kind of yeah. my, having not played it, of course, is the way that like my brain is compartmentalizing it after seeing both Scott play it at the preview event and hearing you discuss it now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess the, 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 the last things I want to say for it is like, there are ways to like kind of uh, enhance like your card, like cards of your characters. Like there'll be like certain like items that you get after missions that like you can, that you can think of them as like card packs. So like you go over to like, uh, Tony Stark, and he'll like, uh, like open the card pack for you, and then like you have a, initially a set of three uh, that you can uh, choose from, and you can choose one out of them. And then like if you if you if you uh, research something to like uh, further, like now I can like each card pack will unveil four cards, and I can pick two of them. And then any duplicates of cards I get, you can like use another currency to like uh, fuse them with their existing card and like make them better so any dupes that you get you can fuse them with your card to make the enhance their capabilities um you know and then there'll be like times where like if you want to research something uh in the game and then it'll and then this threw me off at first i know this will throw everyone out off at first when they see it. it it'll say this research for this like facility will take one day and like it'll say one day left and and because modern video games have like poisoned our minds so much, people like I'm sure a lot of people will think it's like does that mean like one whole like real life day that I have to wait like, a, like an actual stamina timer or something? Yeah, it's like no, that's actually one in game day because like how the XCOM XCOM s gameplay loop finally works in this game once I reach that part is like it goes by days. So like what like once you like start a day in the game, like you you'll you'll have like your uh research done you can like open card packs you can like hang out with people do your like your daily training to like uh earn like friendship experience points uh and so forth so do whatever like your quote-unquote dailies are in the game so to speak not uh and then you go do a mission whether it's a story mission or a side or, or a side mission then once you get back from that mission it's nighttime and during nighttime like there might be like like club activities for some of your superheroes, you might be able to hang out with other people um, there. Um, and then, like, when you wrap up that day, you go to sleep. And then the next day begins. And then, you know, and do and that's a kind of like the XCOM game move of, like, you kind of have, like, you can go about it at your own pace. And unlike XCOM, where there's, like, kind of like a timer on you for XCOM, um, this one doesn't seem to have a timer on you. So you can kind of, like, just go about it at your own pace and not be, uh, feel compelled to always push the story uh after every so many days because like the, it seems like the general missions like are, are always going to be available it seems like those never run out so like if you need a certain resource or you want to get more card packs like you know more um, gloss can, yeah or more gloss you know um yeah then you can just like repeat like do those general missions over and over again uh, until you're ready to do the next story mission so that's kind of like generally like what the gameplay loop of it is so far like so far, like I am enjoying it. Once like I'm able to like, once I was able to finally like play the game, like and like really engage with like the battle system, uh, like at a, at a normal pace. Unlike the beginning of the game, where I was like, you have to go through like literally through hours of like fucking tutorials of like 
here's why the abbey matters and like here's why you can do the abbey and explore the abbey and do all this shit and you're just like okay whatever you know like i'm sure that'll speak to like some people for sure like if they're really into like the lore of their games and like really want to like really flesh out the narrative of like this original marvel character and like all and all the relevant characters to that um but for like for me like the main appeal of this game is like really digging into the battle system and like facing challenging scenarios uh and no i'm with you totally on that yeah so that's my general impression of the game after nine and a half hours so far and with that we'll move on to some of the uh, other games that released uh this last week and these ones are a little bit uh niche with a little bit more limited target audience so i will open up this section of the starting of our podcast i say at the 80 minute mark uh with e, uh, an Obsidian game that released in the last week, and that is Pentiment. So Pentiment, this is a game that has been headed up by Josh Sawyer who of Fallout New Vegas fame. Uh, this is the first Obsidian game that I think is truly released under the Xbox Game Studios banner. And no, I take that back. Grounded was. Um, so this is the first one, uh, the second one then. So Pentiment was announced and unveiled earlier this summer as a narrative basically a narrative adventure RPG that takes place in 16th century Bavaria or Germany during the time of the Holy Roman empire uh, with an art style kind of inspired specifically by the art style at the time. So basically what this game is, is that anyone who follows Josh Sawyer on Twitter knows that he's like educated in kind of this realm. And he really loves uh, books like in the name of the Rose and things like that. And a bunch of others, like he is much more of course, well-versed than me. This is clearly a passion project for him. And luckily Microsoft was able to say like, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll handily support that. And people have been talking about how um, he's had podcast interviews and things like that, where he talks about how um, game pass has allowed him to create this more experimental game with a limited audience so I went ahead and picked this up as uh, they, I thought this was something that was kind of foreign to me. I had no history or knowledge of this time period, of this setting. Even I thought the initial showing of Pentiment was not something that would I would be up my alley. And I ended up being very highly surprised by this game. And it's, it's a hard game to describe and also a hard game to sell. So I'm not going to quite try to do that. But it's a sort of game where after I've played it, and the more I thought about it, the more I appreciated it and the more I liked it. So uh, I did write up a review up on the site if you want to get some more like written, you know, pen to paper thoughts on the game. But very rarely, typically when I'm writing reviews or even just like compartmentalizing my thoughts for a podcast impressions, I end up finding myself focusing on the negatives or like I'll have an initial like score in mind, but I find myself shifting downwards the more that I think or, or, or criticize or analyze a game. But this game, it felt like more of the opposite where the more, the more I thought about it, the, the deeper that I kind of thought about its impression on me, the, the more I kind of uh, ended up liking it. Uh, it's, it's a game where you play as a journeyman artist who is in a tiny little farming village in the Holy Roman Empire in, I believe, south southern Germany, or what southern of what is modern-day Germany. And you end up at the heart of a basically a whodunit. It's a murder mystery. And uh, you are in a kind of a unique position where you are currently like boarding with one of the peasants, but you're of a pretty like 
not a noble stock, but you're like an upstanding citizen with, you know, a trades citizen. And so you've got like, you're able to interact with the peasants, with the citizens, and then even with the, um, the brothers and the nuns of the nearby abbey. So basically it's like you, you're in charge of figuring out who did this. And, you know, we want to, we want to bring the right person to justice so that we can, you know, keep the respect in, uh, of our, of our little township and not incur the wrath of the, you know, the neighboring larger barons and dukes. So the whole game is basically entirely dialogue. There are no stats. There are some like traits or talents where you can say like, my character has studied in Italy. Therefore I know a little bit of Latin or, or things like that. Or like uh, my character has an interest in the arcane. So I, I know a little bit about like necromancy or or things like that or or it can be like history or business or politics or things like that which kind of affects what dialogue choices you have um and basically the game gives you leads in terms of these are the characters that you meet uh and the game kind of fire hoses you at the start where within like the first hour of gameplay that i think is where if you have any passing interest in this game at all, you need to kind of get past that first hour point to see if this game is something for you. Cause it's kind of a bit of a fire hose of here's a bunch of characters. You're not going to remember them all when you first are introduced to them. Uh, it's going to be kind of a blur. And then the characters will refer to other characters in passing. And you're like, Hey, who was that again? Who was the baker? Who was the miller? Who's the stonemason? Who's the blacksmith? Things like that. But once you kind of get past that point, this game, and I'm not the first person to make this comparison, so it's not a novel one, but it's it really kind of reminds me, at least in scope, of Disco Elysium. And what I mean by that is that it is kind of like, uh, I believe it's Tim Schafer has a famous saying, or somewhat famous saying, where he says that if he could make anything, he'd make his city block RPG. An RPG that's basically scoped down to basically be as immersive as possible in a very limited space with a very small number of characters. That's that kind was, of what uh, this Warren Spector. Warren Spector, no. I'm sorry. I got the wrong name. Uh, Warren Spector, thank you, Adam. Uh, and uh, that's kind of what this game, that thought, and then my experience at Disco Elysium, uh, that's what this reminds me of. Because it all takes place in like this little peasant village that has about three, four screens, and then the Abbey, which has like three or four more. There's probably a total of like 40 characters and usually they're like grouped into families. Like here's the Miller's husband and wife and their kid. And as you play, you just start to actually like, oh yeah, it's the Miller's son. I remember meeting them over at the Roman ruins or or whatever. Uh, or Ursula, it's like, oh, yeah. she doesn't know how to speak. Yeah, it's Ursula. She's still learning how to speak and and things like that. Um, and you start like having characters that you're genuinely rooting for, and then characters who are you're actually like kind of feel admired animosity for because they're jerk faces or whatever uh and then there's also the passage of time is a clear mechanic in this game both in the short term and in the long in the short term it's basically like we want you to name a culprit by the end of the week so you have all these leads and you kind of have to pick and choose which ones you're going to follow so for people who like to exhaust everything and do absolutely everything that is something that like that inclination is something you kind of have to be able to put to the side because the game is framed and set up that you are not able to investigate everything. You cannot exhaust all options before you make a choice. You kind of have to go with your gut. In addition to that, the saving of this game is almost entirely auto saves. So if you make a choice and it pisses someone off, yeah, you might be able to like alt F4 and quickly like get back in before the auto save finishes. But like by design and intent, you don't have like a save file where like, oh, let me let me reload and make the other save. You kind of have to roll with it. And I actually no kind of appreciate it. 
yeah, there's there's no saves coming. I mean, I'm sure you could like manipulate save files on PC, but the, the intent is no saves coming. You you get the choices you get. The whether you're a jerk or a, a hedonist or a well like a well literate uh, educated person, and whether you fraterner, frat, fraternitize, I can't speak. Uh, whether you hang out with the peasants and you kind of besmirch the um the higher class or the other way around, you kind of have to roll with it. Which I actually think, yes, it's kind of an inconvenience to the player, but in a deliberate way that I actually ended up kind of appreciating. It's one of those things where it's like, take away the option for me to save scum. And all of a sudden, I'm not really caring as much as, oh, no, I pissed this guy off. Or, oh, no, this person, like it said, I, I wasn't quite able to convince them to give me the information I wanted. Uh, it felt a lot more, I was able to get a lot more enjoyment out of it, which I kind of felt like is something that you had to have going with Disco Elysium as well. Where you just kind of like the game will not end. Your story becomes your own, and the outcome yet you get is something that is kind of tailored to the person that you role played as, truly in a role playing sense. Um, so in the in the passage of time aspect, uh, that's this passage of time in the short term where you only have so many hours in order to like collect evidence, meet people, and and gather information in the long term this game takes place across three major acts where uh, several years will pass between uh between parts and that's kind of neat as well because then you meet ursula later and she's a young woman are you uh the old the old stonemason he's still kicking around you know he's still here uh oh i convinced the uh blacksmith to go to go to the nearby town to meet this girl that he said he like had a fondness for and oh it turns out they're married and when i played through a second time i didn't push him to do that and the outcome was slightly different in in the second time period he wasn't married and things like that oh the uh i encouraged the miller's son to start to keep drawing on the roman ruins and now he's a lot more confident about it so that's kind of how this game is slightly different from like a disco elysium or a truly open rpg is that the narrative that this game conveys is pretty much curated it's fixed it's set but you can kind of affect little perturbations in how it's unveiled, like how different character stories ends up, whether the old widow gets to keep her home or not. Uh, there's even like an aspect where if you let a kid named Anna steal your hat early in the game, later in the game, her daughter will end up with a patched version of your hat later if you let her do that. Gross. It's little stuff like that that is just kind of like a little attention to detail, um, just like really well thought out. Yes, the game is always going to kind of end at the same place. This isn't a sort of game where it's like you make choices and your outcome is wildly disparate from the next person over that plays it. Uh, but you you notice little things like that instead. Uh, and then also in terms of attention to detail, this game is a lot of it is about writing and about art. And like every single character, when they are like writing their dialogue, like peasants, their dialogue will show up in a different manner than the the monks at the monastery will be slightly different than um the there's the there's the there's a the family of printers where their 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 dialogue doesn't get written in at all it like has an old printing press sound effect and it all shows up at once so there's little ways that uh different characters like their upbringing their educatedness and things like that is manifested in that the way that their dialogue is presented and i didn't quite catch this but i guess like some characters that are a little bit less educated when their when their script is first showing up, it'll have like typos in it, and then it'll correct itself really quickly. Oh, so it, it's little like things like that where it's just like, man, they really kind of they knew exactly kind of what they were going for here, um, in terms of 
knowing what they want their characters to be. And this game is just really good characters, whether they're simple farmers or people that you interact with a lot. Uh, that's, you, that's important yeah, for this type of, type of game because it, does, it doesn't have any voice acting, right? Nope. Uh, so yeah, it's it's got tons of, uh, of language support. Um, it sounds like the best two languages to play it in are English and German, kind of obviously English Studio and set in Germany. Um, so that's an option for those that have that capability. And the... The main thing about this game, especially as I got to the ending, is that the narrative is you you don't quite know it at the time, but everything builds towards the climax at the end, but in an understated way where the game is so th this is going to sound a little bit mealy mouth, but it's like thematically consistent where there's little anecdotes and you, you learn a lot of little history pieces of the characters lives. And then obviously there's the murder mystery on top of all of it. And you kind of learn exactly why all these things and how all these things are connected together. Not in like a, oh, wow, now everything makes sense, but just everything seems to have a purpose and a meaning. Unfortunately, I have to kind of keep it vague like that because to say anything more actually kind of spoils it, which I know I've been on the receiving end of people saying that about like visual novels that Josh and Chow have played or things like that, or even uh, James, uh, where it's like, I can't say more because it'll spoil it. But so obviously this game, when this game is a murder mystery, this is not a spoiler. At the very end, you learn like who the ultimate culprit is. And it's one of those things where it just makes sense, not in terms of like the evidence only like, aha, they were the only person that fits the evidence, but in terms of like their motivation how it connects to the rest of the story, what the story was trying to say, and what were you going to say, Chow? Uh, I was going to say, what's the equivalent of a gas station tenant back in those days? Oh, it, it's it's cool. kind of got a little bit like that, to be honest. I know exactly he's referring to um, Persona Four, uh, yeah. but um, I guess we should probably put it. Well, wait, when you when you're talking about the ending, like when you figure out who did it, it reminded me of Disco Elysium. Like you learn oh. who did it, but there's a reason why, like. It's more than just, aha, it was that person, you know? So, Ex exactly. Yeah. Does and this game have multiple about, endings? It, it, has, it has one main ending. So, yeah. it, it's not multiple endings, but like the, but way, the way it's, 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 it's kind of like the route you take to get there okay. will change. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And it's one of the games where, like, at the end, it was like, I'll be honest. It's one of those things where if you were like really paying attention, it's like you you could probably call who did it. Like I'll just put it like like any good mystery should be. Like the evidence makes sense. It's not it's not like out of nowhere like the earlier mentioned game where it's like how could you how could you how could you how could you have seen that coming? Uh, uh this is a bit of a tangent, but uh there was another obsidian game I played uh not too long ago, like last year, that had a murder mystery. It was one of the DLCs for the Otter Worlds. And I'm yeah. just going to spoil it. It was like, it was this unnamed identical twin that I never mentioned before and no one ever knew about. Like, come on. <laughs> really? now, this is the opposite of that. Yeah. Um, so this game takes about 15 to 20 hours to beat. Uh, and I think, uh, to be honest, some of the people's, uh, I've seen some of the feedback for the game and like, I had to increase the tech speed to maximum because otherwise it does like, Obviously, they have like a really deliberate way that the text is presented, but it's also kind of a, maybe a little bit overindulgent where it's like, OK, I get it. Uh, let me set the text speed to max. I guess they're going to patch it or have already patched it. By the time you listen to this, maybe it might be already. Patched. I saw, I saw, I saw it, mention that they changed some of the sound effects for the text. 
Yeah, it was um, a little loud but, because like I, I I don't think there were separate sound effects slider for the text scrawl and then just general sound effects. So I think I think they separated those out. They were they were they were going to or already did add like an instant text appearance option. Um, there is like an easy text or an easy read font mode, which is kind of nice because some of the fonts are a bit ornate. And you do lose a little bit of the like if you have the easy text font mode, then I think the like the peasants and the monks end up with the same font, which is like that's okay. Um, it's you you lose you lose a little bit there, but it's the sort of game that by the time I got to the ending, I was just like, this is the only way it could have ended. This makes narrative sense. It builds on the themes of the game has been selling to me. Um, this is just it's well thought out. That's kind of the high, like it all wraps together really nicely. It's not just trying to shock you and be like. Aha, it was actually this. Oh no, are you surprised? It's not trying to surprise you. Instead, it's just trying to captivate you a bit. So it's just really well written. And that's something that the studio has had a pedigree for. And um, so like I'm not surprised to see it's a strength here. And I'll I'll even say, like, when I saw the um the initial trailer reveal, like, man, that art style is gonna be an acquired taste. But it is kind of like the same sort of thing where you put yourself in it for an hour and you kind of acclimate to it and you actually really try to appreciate like it's not overwrought. It's very simple. It kind of m- matches like the tone of the game. Uh, and I, I didn't quite catch this, but I saw some people saying like the different generations are drawn slightly differently. This is the sort of game where like, I bet there's like so many little details that you could easily, there's things that you catch. Like I caught the uh, the fact that the printers had different text font and things like that, where I caught, I caught like the little, like the daughter having the hat, things like that. But then the, the, I'm sure there's like a dozen things I didn't catch. Like I didn't catch potentially that different generations are drawn with a slightly different art style. Um, so it's just it's just like a really like you can cl- clearly tell that this is a passion project of something that someone really feels strongly about. So like you talked about Midnight Suns, like, well, we got to got we got to have a tr- treasure chest and key mechanic. We got to have a, <laughs> a Metroidvania mechanic. We got to have 18,000 currencies. Um, this game is just it's like the antithesis of that. Uh, generally how long is a playthrough of this i'd say 15 to 20 hours if if the instant the the, if the instant text i think i've seen some people it kind of depends on like do you do you go around the whole city and talk to people to see if their dialogue is updated every time the times changes or not things like that um and i I bet you once the uh instant text option comes in that that will just naturally kind of cut down the time a bit as well so is there any like incentive to like replay the game out of like I don't know, there's like different results because a lot, like you said, there's only one main ending, right? Uh, so. Yeah, it would be kind of if you want to like pursue different leads or learn. Like before, I before I examined the you know the murder body uh, and I, I I investigated this way, but instead this time I'm gonna have dinner with the townsfolk and like go. Oh, I'm gonna investigate with that route and things like that. So it basically, if you want to, if you're, if you liked the story and the characters enough, and you kind of want to interact, like th- the, on my last playthrough, I barely ever interacted with the bakers. So this time I'm going to do that, and I'm going to ignore the Abbey, uh, or things like that. Um, so if you really enjoyed like the setting and the characters, you, it would just basically be able to see the scenes and the events and the dialogue that you didn't get to see your last playthrough. Yeah, I've got to get around to this game sometime in the future. I, I hope, hopefully soon, mm-hmm. and we'll see. But yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it seems like a really intriguing game that's up my alley. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been I've been uh, intentionally trying to like you know know as little as possible about this game. Uh, you know, so it's 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 definitely one of those games that I feel like I I want to be I want I want it to be at a time where like I'm not really playing anything else because it feels like it's gonna be it would be hard to like follow up with it if you're like trying to juggle multiple things and you like you lay it down for too long. Yeah. 
So my... you, were, you were talking about like a small details. Apparently, like they hired for the Italian characters, they hired someone to be a consultant for their gestures. Oh, wow. Like the Italian characters actually have like consulted, like here's how an Italian person would gesture when they're talking. Like Jesus. more than just more than just, you know, stereotyped, like an actual yeah. consultant. That's above so. and beyond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, I did encounter a few things that I think will be addressed pretty quickly. But like as with, as with any game with any intricate dialogue system, there were a few places where I was I would talk to a character and they would reference events that I didn't see because the logic wasn't quite set up right. You know what I mean? And then, or, right. or they like, I, I had already seen something, but then I spoke with another character where whatever on the back end wasn't flagged, like, oh, I already did that. They don't seem to recognize that I already did that. Um, and the further I got into the game, like in act three, the final act, I saw that more often. And it's one of those things where it's like, that's a bummer. It's a little bit, of, it's a little bit of bummer to see that blemish on a game that has otherwise such really good attention to detail. But I think, you know, I, I kind of trust the developer to sort those out and kind of address those, uh, make sure that the game does like all the proper logic flags are in place so that, you know, that thing doesn't take you out of the moment. Um, but other than that, like just, I really appreciated it and I kind of stated it. Um, I appreciate it and recommend it in the same way that you recommend someone visit a local museum or a local aquarium, not in terms of like the content, but in terms of like the experience and how you enjoy those sorts of things where you find like a little bit more meaning out of it. Or you find like, yeah, I really appreciated that. It's not something that's like, yeah, this game is exciting. Go play Pentiment. It's great. It's like, no, it's just like, it's just something that I really appreciated. It's really fun just to see the passion in this at display here. Um, and it's, and it's stuck. And the story was well-written and really captivating at times and just stuck with me. So it's, it's something that I do wholeheartedly recommend though. You do kind of have to acclimate to its scope and its pace. Uh, yeah, Sawyer even mentioned that the Pentiment was like, the only reason Pentiment was like even made was because like Game Pass exists. Like it mm-hmm. allowed, you know, you allowed the, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. To really... it's, it's interesting to see a game like this where it's like, maybe if it was only allowed to be released in the traditional sense, I'm not convinced that uh <clears throat> It uh, maybe it would have been uh, greenlit <laughs> just because of the type of game it is. Like you said, it's a passion project. It's very, uh, I wouldn't maybe not limited in skill, but it's definitely like laser focused in a sense. That it's like, it, if it wasn't for Game Pass, it would be one of those games where it's like they'd have to make the argument, oh, who is this for? Whereas with Game Pass, the having a variety of games is maybe more important than having blockbusters all the time yeah i, th- I think that's really uh like an interesting way of like uh viewing it like from a game development angle like uh, on like what your well what, where your shifter focus uh, what uh, what sort of systems are in place and uh, foundationally that allows you to be flexible like that and i hope to see like more types of these projects in the future of like ge- of studios that generally produce blockbusters to like take on like smaller relatively smaller scope projects because you know uh, systems like Game Pass are in place. Like, imagine if like Santa Monica Studio uh, on mm-hmm. Sony's side was able to like, like create something smaller scoped, uh, like more along the along the lines like Pentiment. Like, what would that look like? That's an interesting. Well, I, I, I know, saw some people about. compare it to the um. Remember the era of UbiArt, where Ubisoft allowed little studios to yeah. make like um Valiant Hearts and Child of Light and things like that. That's kind of what I saw someone compare it to that. Like a big studio just allowing people to make passion projects. And so it's kind of like that. I, I do want to say one more that, thing. Oops, sorry, go ahead, James. Yeah, sorry. 
I was going to say, I do know that um, <clears throat> EA has been doing that a lot with their like EA originals. Yes, e- EA has some been of them doing are a really bigger. That. Some of them are bigger, like uh, obviously Wild Hearts is coming out, and that's obviously a big budget game. But uh, it's all they also have like some smaller stuff there, like Faye and whatnot. So it's all, all, all of all, all of um, Ferris's video games. I for, yeah, Haze Light. As someone yeah. that, as someone that played. Uh, the most recent one for, of his. Uh, it takes two. It takes mm-hmm. two. I, I'm not sure if I'd call that a low budget game. Yeah, I wouldn't call that low budget, but I think I think I think the one be, uh, before the trying like way a way out. I think I think that that's like, yeah. more along the lines. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that because that's definitely a foundational project. To uh, it takes two. And even um, I think like uh, what was it called? Like brothers, brother, uh, a tale, two sons. There we yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to say one last thing. Uh, I know I know I've seen some, I've seen people voice this concern and I kind of get it. Uh the the game takes place in a setting that is very catholic and obviously part of it takes place literally in an abbey and I saw some people saying like I don't know if I vibe with that just cuz like it's kind of out there and a little bit maybe antiquated. Like I'll just put it this way, I am not religious. I have no understanding or history of the 16th century Europe. And I still found like great enjoyment of this game. I don't see that as a requirement to enjoy this game. You you, you kind of end up like being immersed in the setting, even if you're a little bit ignorant of it, which I am. Uh, so I I saw some people concerned, like I don't know if I I don't know if I will vibe with that. Like I can't guarantee that you will, but I'll say that I have no like predilection for that, and I was able to vibe with it just fine. So Brian, uh, you're also you're, you're yeah you and those fours are also in luck. You can now buy the Bible on Steam as well. <laughs> I don't know what you're referring you to. That? Shit, you not. Go run, go search the Bible on Steam. You can buy it. Damn. Anyways, uh, so yeah, I uh, have my written review up on the site. If you kind of want to see the uh, more thorough, more concrete uh, impressions of that game, I thought it's really good, and I highly recommend it. And then I know we're approaching the two-hour mark here, but we do have one last game to talk about before we go into the news, uh, and that is the last release uh, of this last week that we touched on very briefly in a preview sense. Uh, last time, but now it is released, and we are going to hand it over back to James to talk about Monochrome Mobius. Yeah, um, so I guess I didn't, well, preview sense, uh, I know that Josh played the PS5 demo for the mm-hmm. uh, Japanese version of the game. Um, to be clear, this game has come out uh, day and date in the West, PC only. I did a whole article about it months ago where I said, I understand why it's still a little bit disappointing for folks that maybe wanted to play it on console. Very unfortunate. But um, so the good news, the PC port, while I wouldn't say it's amazing, it's definitely better than the studio's other PC versions that they've done in the past. First off, it is not locked to 720p, 30 FPS. Uh, it has a 60 FPS cap this time, and it can go up to... Uh, I'm playing it well, I'm playing it on both my Steam Deck and my desktop, but mostly uh, <clears throat> uh, Steam Deck. But I did play it on my desktop and it is like 4K up to 4K at least. Um, so how in depth was the demo you played, Josh? Like how far did it take you? Did you get to go to the I, main I, Yam- I, uh, Yamato road or did you, uh, I, I got to like the, the first starting area and then I got to the village and then I was like the, and then like, I got to like the, the, the scene where the main heroine was stealing an, an apple or something with like those really com- comedic sound effects. And then I was like, I can't play anymore this demo because I feel sick because of the motion. Okay. 
So good news. The motion blur, it appears like, at least on the PC version, that the motion blur is not active except during battles now. Hey, that's really good. Yeah, I, I, uh, a user uh, follower on Twitter is playing the console version of the game and uh, recorded some footage of it. And the footage that I saw that they recorded, it seems like that the motion blur, like in, when you're generally like, just walking around, like seems to be either uh, less severely lessened or like almost like entirely removed. So like it looked a lot easier on the eyes from their recorded footage, and I was like, oh thank God, like that's so, that feels miraculous for like uh, going from like demo to final game uh, yeah. these days. I mean, granted, when you think about it, it's like motion blur. It is something they can just like check in a box, like how much uh, how much it blurs. And yeah, but but like that, they like understand that like yes, this is really bad. Like I just like like. I it's like it's like it's like um changes from the demo to final game it's like almost non-existent for most games these days but in this case like thank god it was like night and day yeah and i did i haven't actually seen so take this with a grain of salt i haven't actually seen the confirmation but i have seen some people say that somewhere aqua plus said that they are pro they are going to patch the npc models to be not like that oh okay <laughs> uh, yeah I, don't, I haven't seen that but oh yeah, yeah uh, they look creepy. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, I'll just say this: uh, it's a JRPG in the Utuado Lumona series. It's a preview to the second and third game, uh, kind of uh, bridging the gap between the first game and the other two uh, games in the trilogy. Uh, you take control of Ashtor, who is a major character in Mask of Deception and Mask of Truth. And you kind of get his backstory and the backstory for a couple of other characters that were major in, again, Mask of Deception, Mask of Truth. And I did not expect this uh, game to have as big of a scope as it actually ends up having. Because it's deceptive. Because the first area you uh, pop into is this like little mountain like uh, incline. It's a, it's a decently sized area. And there's like twists and turns and things you can find and whatnot. But it's like kind of standard, more budget JRPG fare. Yeah, like very, a, very linear at that very, very starting spot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you get back to the village, you deal with uh, the setup for the game, and then almost immediately you uh, head out of the village to the main road. And then it's like, oh, this is wide open. There is a lot of space to explore. And it's like, the mountain road, well, the mountain road that you explore at the very beginning, that's like one of those like side paths or like that connect between the bigger like connecting roads. Uh, there's one main area that kind of connects all these like side areas that you can explore and connects towns and whatnot called the Yamato Road. It's massive. It's absolutely massive. It's mm -hmm. um, and there's like all sorts of different things you can explore. There's different enemies. There's uh, the game itself looks surprisingly great for this uh, studio's first 3D game. Like there's tons of foliage. There's uh, the lighting is good. And, like obviously it's not perfect. Things are uneven. But especially if you're playing on Steam Deck like I am, it kind of like blends together anyways because of the lower resolution. Uh, I will say this game runs fantastic on there. Uh, you won't be getting 60 FPS, but if you just keep it on medium settings, it's like a lock 30 FPS at 720p if you 
put on the 30 FPS cap and uh, through the uh, Steam Deck's uh, OS settings. This was a surprise too for like both of us because like the 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 30 there was a 30 FPS cap on the PS4 PS5 version from the demo, and then yeah then you and then you got back when you got access to the PC version saying oh like this actually runs at 60 FPS like uh like just like you can that's what it's capped at uh, uh, like when you're playing it on like like more than the Steam Deck and yeah. so forth so they actually upped the the frame rate cap on there um which is like kind of a big surprise because the pc ports of the urovare romono trilogy like vns like they were all like 30 fps cap um yeah yeah so that that like we just like, like right, yeah 720p also I was, I was like it's like the our expectations of this pc port were just like in the right gutter yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to hear that like this is at like the pc version like pc port of this game which is like the official english one in the west like is actually a decent fucking port from its like uh, uh original console releases in Japan is like wow that's that's pretty uh but fascinating yeah, the game looks like genuinely good i posted a screenshot from my uh, desktop uh, uh you guys can check really quick but yeah this it it genuinely looks uh, pretty good it runs really well the gameplay's interesting it has this thing called the battle ring system and it's basically like it's not just that you have a timeline and like turn order, but there's like different tracks that um, um, your party and enemies will run on. Everyone starts on the outermost ring, which means that you have more to run across to get to your turn. But um, if you stagger an enemy or get overzeal, you can get a chance to move to a to a ring that's closer to the center, which has less room to move, which means that your turn you'll cover the area to get back to the starting position of the ring quicker. And so there was a whole like kind of a song and dance of, okay, you've staggered an enemy, uh, your next person up, you could attack and uh, get onto the faster track, or you can wait for your, for the, for the person's turn, person's turn after that, because maybe they're your healer and you want them to be moving quicker. So if, if, it, if you're taking a lot of damage, you can um, have more heals coming out at a quicker pace and then obviously there's some attacks that like well, just just on average if you deal damage it'll knock enemies back or you'll be knocked back if you get hit a little bit on the turn order but there's certain attacks that will like deal more knockback on the turn order than others and then obviously there's uh attacks of other sorts of uh, aspects to them and uh early on there's not too much to it but uh I've only put about 10 hours into it before Pokemon came in. But like, even by the time I was like at like the 10 hour mark and I finally got my full party, it's like, yeah, this is, there's, there's some neat aspects to this combat. Most of it, you're only going to really see in uh, boss battles or like side quest bosses, but it's definitely shaping up to be interesting. And the story is shaping up to be interesting. And uh, it's honestly really impressive for like Aqua Plus's first real like 3d game. And like, just looking at the, visuals looking at the presentation it's like man they uh for such a small studio this is honestly like the scope and scale and huh i hope this does well because i'd love to see them like build upon this because they clearly have the talent there to maybe uh kind of uh fulfill that sort of niche that uh, i mean so many of this uh so like it feels like especially recently there's been a lot of like double a jrpgs like we had just star ocean like a, like a month and a half ago, we have like Falcom doing their thing. Uh, we have uh, Gus doing their own thing, but it's like, it, I'm always like happy to see more games like this. And I definitely see the blueprint and maybe it's even more than a blueprint because I need to get more into it once I'm done with Pokemon. But 
this is promising. It's a lot of fun. The story's interesting. The localization has some issues, but that makes sense because I think this is the first uh, project that Sherboon's done that was day and date with the Japanese release. And I'm sure it'll be patched down the line because it's, it's PC. They don't have to pay for uh, releasing patches so they can just, like, whenever they receive, like, information about, oh, there's issues with localization, hopefully they can get that um, fixed up uh, uh, quickly. And, and it's mostly from what I can tell just, like, typos. But, uh, yeah. Um, not too much to say, I guess. I, again, still very early on. Um, I will say, though, that... Uh, even though this is a prequel, so you're technically you can like play this without having played the rest of uh, the series. I'm not sure if I would recommend it because there's definitely aspects of it where it kind of feels like it expects you to know what's going on or or it like hints to things that like happen in later games. It makes you think, huh, what the hell is the story going with here? If they're, if they're referring to this where it's like, that doesn't make much sense. Interesting. Um yeah, I, th I think but, that 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 be the most challenging thing about this game because, it, like, uh, like you know, put that out like it, it feels like it, this game is primed for people who are already like fans of the series. So for people who want to like get into it like without that background, like they and they want and they want to understand what's going on in this game, they'll have they have three full games that they'll have to get through. Um, yeah. yeah, for the like they... prequels, like okay, let's just say Shauna from the cover, for example, right. You don't see her in like the later Utamaru uh, mono game. Uh, Shunga, so. you mean, yeah, yeah. You don't uh, see yeah. her in later. Well, oh, you probably know that she's probably dead at the end, probably. Cause, she uh, she's either gonna be dead or she's gonna go somewhere far away and in, in into the uh, not uh, crucial to the plot dimension or whatever you want to say. Um, but uh, overall, I mean, like, and obviously, again, this is like a worldwide release on PC. I know that Josh just linked the uh, Steam DB page and showing like the charts. Um, for the type of game it is, I think it seems like it's doing all right, but you don't know what their expectations were. Yeah, so. I don't know that. Yeah, who knows well, how how well they, they they expect this to do? And I I know I know they also I don't know if this is still going on, but they had like a massive massive discount on the Udovari Ramona series, like oh, when it was like near the release of this game. So they're really yeah. hoping that you know more people you know find their way into into the series yeah uh but definitely one of those games where i am pretty sure most of the people listening to this podcast never even heard of it uh if you're interested in the utawari mono series uh they're uh, vn slash tactical rpgs they're pretty good uh you can only really get the second third game on pc so if you're on console uh well there's vita if that counts if you want to yeah, buy it from well, ebay well, Vitamins yeah, and you can buy the you can buy the PS4 version uh, physical on eBay, but if you want to get them for a reasonable price and play the uh, best versions of the game, you, you got to get it on PC. And uh, uh, to be clear, okay. they're delisted. That's what we're yeah. getting at. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how about digital PS4? Does that count still, or no? it's delisted? It, it was Atlas. It was Atlas. Yeah. Jesus. Oh my well, god. Well, uh, Atlas did the uh, the two sequels. NAS America did the uh, the re the remake of the the original, and both of them, both all of those licenses, I think, were lost. So. I think Prelude is still technically up on PlayStation, oh, it but it so. doesn't really matter because if you want to play Mask of Deception, Mask of Truth, yeah. you're gonna have to play it on PC anyways. In which case, just get them all on PC. They're low, like they are low spec enough. You can run them on anything. Like case in point, they they're easy as hell to run on Steam Deck, and I keep saying. 
best place to play them because PC ports aren't great. They're 720p 30 FPS locked, which uh, sucks if you're playing them on a desktop. But if you're playing them on a Steam Deck where 720p is kind of what you're aiming for anyways, it's like, well, works out. Yeah, I, I, I started the first game on Steam Deck. I yeah, I'm like I'm still fairly early on, but like you know, I got busy with all sorts of things, so I I do intend to get back to it. Um, I only beat the original version. I didn't really play like yeah. the remake from was it the one that's been uh, published by Nisa? Was it now? Is it? Yeah, they did the console version anyway. Yeah. Well, thank you, James, for talking to uh, Monochromobius after we had the demo impressions uh, last week or the week before. And yeah, you are right that the, like these last two games, Pentiment and Monochrome, are probably for a niche audience. But that way, we kind of got the full gamut. We got, you know, biggest IP in the world from Pokemon. We got, you know, Marvel and Midnight Suns. And then we got these other two. So that's kind of the nice thing about this genre is that it kind of, like you said, the double A JRPGs are kind of all over the place now. And it's why we always constantly feel like we're drowning in terms in terms of coverage for the site. Uh, but kind of good to know that you know we're getting we're getting more releases coming day and date in English and Japanese and on PC. So it's really kind of you know compared to the the world that we lived in 10, 15 years ago. This is really quite neat that get the experience tailored to their kind of what they like and to the scope that they like and on whatever platform they like. Meanwhile, uh, China are still working through not even an A or double labor. Like I don't even know it's a B game or like <laughs> we're working through we're still working through Asta Libra revision and I don't even know where you even. What what were you even classified that? Like, what letter do you give that in, the, I, in that spectrum? It's, it's not even a B game. It's, uh, it's like a one man army game. Okay, it's made by uh, one dude. But <laughs> I still need to start that. I need to finish Pokemon. I need to get the Harvestella like properly after yeah. like, all this. It's, it's like, you know what? You know what's even wild? I, I learned yeah. that the free version of the game lets you play the entire main story, except for the post game. The post game is new Steam content. Well, I, I'm, I'm, at, I'm, at, I'm at the quote-unquote post-game right now in that game. Just a very, very quick update. And, like, it's still story-relevant what's going on there. Like, I was fucking shocked last night when I got there. I'm like, oh, I'm not done with this game. <laughs> I am definitely not done with this game. There is one thing what? I can say for sure. There is never a dull moment in this game. You can one, never predict the plot. No. One thing I will say about Ask Libra, um, for, and I know we've talked about this a bit in the past, Um if folks are interested in it, I do know that I've heard from a few friends that are uh, translation and editing that uh, there is a retranslation of that game that's in works for English. So, uh, cool. yeah, um, it, it definitely yeah. needs it definitely needs some touch ups on the on the English script for sure. Like, it's one of those. It's like it's understandable. Like that the English script is like it's like not perfect. It's pretty rough at some spots, but depend like, because of the staff on that game, like you know, it's understandable. But yeah, the, hopefully, like the retranslation. Like yeah, that's good that it's getting it. It definitely needs it, and hopefully it comes out in a timely manner. Like I, I really, like I'm, I'm, I'm surprised at like how this game it continues to like reach new heights with its like its player base. Like it continues to like break its like 24 hour like peaks and like concurrent users. Like it's like almost like it's almost breaking like 7,000 now in terms of that. It's like it's like for a game that like no one has really. No one really talks about and or is known in the wider sphere. <laughs> so I was just like, that's crazy. I, I think it tells you that the power of word of mouth is more, it's the most effective form of advertisement. It's like Demon Souls when it released in PS3. You know, I think word of mouth is just more effective than a company keep trying to shield their products nonstop, right? Oh, Thank you, Atlas. Crazy. So I'm, I'm looking at the uh, Steam page now for the game. And I remember back when we first heard about this and we were talking about it on the podcast, it was like, 
around like I want to say like 200 reviews. Now it's at 2,506. Yeah, this <laughs> game has kind of maybe blown up isn't the right term because it's still like not huge, but it's like that's close to 100,000 sales. And for like a single person project, that's a massive success for them. What other podcast is out there that will talk about Asta Libra three different times <laughs> in the October, November time frame? Uh, Chow, uh, we need to fucking find time to like fucking talk about this game and we're like done. I like will fight else. for this game in the game I, of the year. Dude, okay. I, I need to make sure I finish this before. Yeah. Because it sounds like this might actually be a top five contender from what like, this, this, this game is fucking crazy. Like in terms of like what happens in it. Okay. So let me ask a question. Is it actually good? You always yes. say it's crazy, but is it good? It's fun. It's fun as fuck. It is a very fun game. I also <laughs> like the plot because you can never predict it. It always go like a one eighty out of, out of the blue. It's like I mean, you that's, would that's think that you know. Is it actually good or is it only no, it makes good sense. by no, value no, of just no, having no, twists no, all over the place? No, it, it, makes, it sense. makes sense. It, it, it makes sets sense. up. It, it kind of sets up before, but you kind of not expect it in the most odd way. Right? Yeah. Like, and there's this like, one part that Josh totally fucked up that I told him about it later. And he's like, oh, well, I guess I gotta live my choices then. But yeah. the game actually warns you about it. But you didn't really, like, take the suggestion, right? No, I, I understand where Adam's coming from, because we, we whenever we talk about this game, we talk about, like, how insane it is, but we never actually talk about, like, it, like, being, like, good or enjoyable, right? Because we're always, like, blown away, but, like, by, like, it, like, things that we, like, we encounter, and it's like, wow, that's, that's fucking crazy, and that's the only way that really describe it at the moment, but, like, in terms of, like, is it actually a good video game? It's like, yes, it's an awesome video game. It's like, it actually has like dungeons and like puzzles that like modern games won't fucking do these days, uh, and like interesting puzzles that it's like okay, wow, that's a that, that's an interesting solution to like get to this puzzle and like progress. Uh, you literally have to do it manually to solve these puzzles. Like one of the puzzle I got stuck on yesterday was trying to reach for this object in a jar, and you're like, hmm. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you have yeah, to like yeah. manually fill that jar with water to get the item out. But filling with like one cup of water is not enough, so you have to like do it multiple times. And, and, and they teach you, and they teach you this like this concept and this mechanic earlier on in that chapter, like through through a story event uh, earlier on in that chapter. So like it clues you in, like uh, also. So like this goes, this game is like really good at like you know signposting that. But I, we don't have to go into it all over again. That can be like for game of the year stuff. But like like just just know that yeah, like yes, this game is like really really great gameplay wise as well. Like. That me and two other friends are like playing through this game like around the same spot, and we all have totally different builds and totally different strategies of how we progress through the game. Yeah, I'm just brute forcing with this thing called the Berserk mode. It's like a Devil May Cry, uh, Dante Must Die sort of mode. You do like so much damage to enemies, but you also get one shotted by mobs. Jesus. But uh, what, what was the thing I was going to say? Uh, I'm not sure if you see the story the same way, Josh, but did you see that part with Gal being used as comic relief to solve a puzzle? Um, where he like basically threw uh, Karen into the the water for <laughs> the golden. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I feel yes. like they they were using like a comic relief. Like, do not do what this guy do. Do the opposite of what this guy do to solve this puzzle or something. Yeah. Well, you can talk about it more, you know, at, at later on in the year. But yeah, I would, you know, well, we'll see how it does. I guess it's uh, it's something. It's something. Yeah. I like how we got just an impromptu little Estelibra part at the very end there. On the two-hour <laughs> it's a, it's a small two-minute talk about it. It's, it's hard not to talk more about it, to be honest. 
So we're going to the news section. Uh, we might need to pick our battles here a little bit so we don't take this on too, too long. Luckily, the news section, as it's kind of been for the last uh, couple months, or at least the last month, uh, basically a lot of release dates peppering into early next year. But there are a couple things. Uh, first, some article shout outs for the site. I already mentioned that I wrote up the review of Pentiment up on the site at RPGSite.net. Um, if you listened to last week's podcast, you heard Josh talk at length about his time with Tactics Ogre Reborn, another game that literally just came out um, that you could sink a ton of time into if you're inclined. Uh, Josh did write up his uh, thoughts very thoroughly up on the site as well. So whether you listen to last week's podcast or not, you can listen to that for uh, discussion on that game. But also listen, oh, sorry, go read the Tactics Ogre Reborn review up on RPGSite.net. And then I want to make sure I give a shout out to this one. Uh, James put up a, a pretty fun little feature up on the site uh, about Monster Hunter and about Devil Joe's Tale. So I don't know if James, yeah. if you want to like have like a little comment or two about this article. It, it's very funny because it's like uh, um, ever since I played Monster Hunter, like I started off the, with the PSP and I remember back when try came out like one of the memes about it was that oh devil joe he'll eat anything even his own tail and uh people like legitimately believe that if you did not carve his tail immediately after you chopped it off he, he could eat it and you'd lose that carve and people just kept believing that for for a decade plus and even looking at the, the comments, people still believe it even though like over the last like month people like realized wait a second do we even have an like what happened is somebody was like, okay, I'm going to make a video about this because it's like, it's a cute little thing. It's like a monster hunter fun fact. And they were looking for footage because they didn't want to like, uh, like cat, like, um, hunt a devil Joe for it themselves. And they were looking around YouTube and they were like, I'm not finding any actual footage of the meeting's tail. So they started asking the community and then everyone started hunting him in every game. And it's like, he, he doesn't eat his tail. And now there's still people saying, oh, no, but I remember, right? I remember seeing this. And it's like, no, people keep hunting him and keep trying. And every video, quote unquote, that supposedly shows it either has like raw meat or some sort of meat hidden in the tail where it's like an emulator modded to make it look like it's eating its tail. It's just wild, just absolute Mandela effect. And like it, so many Berenstain. people, have been playing, yeah. yeah, so many people have been playing, uh, monster for so long either cannot accept it refuse to accept it or just uh having a crisis of faith and it's uh, been very very funny yeah so it's kind of a fun feature that we should uh we don't get those up on the site very often so james went ahead and as our you know big monster hunter fan and expert uh went ahead and wrote that up and kind of put that feature up on the site as well so that's a, was just a fun little read. Up. It was like, yeah, I, I remember like going to going to sleep and then waking up and looking at the uh, tweet on the uh, ERPG site uh, account. It was just like, holy shit, when did it get like, I think it's past a thousand retweets now or something. Yeah, uh, I guess I appreciate it while it's there, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. So into the news section, um, starting out here, we've got some. Uh, basically some trailers for some upcoming games. Some of these are right around the corner and some of these are a couple months away. We got a new trailer for the upcoming Fire Emblem Engage. So we haven't been following this quite as closely as we could have. I believe the official Japanese Fire Emblem account ever since that this game was announced in the latest uh, Nintendo Direct 
has been sharing like little snippets of gameplay and things like that. Um, this is our first major marketing of the game since its announcement. It is effectively a three and a half minute long story trailer for the game. I'll be honest, the story is probably one of the last things I play Fire Emblem games for. There is, as far as I can tell, like no gameplay in this trailer. The whole nope. trailer is about the collection of the 12 rings or signets, or I'm not sure what they're called in the game, I forget, to summon the 12 heroes. They, they Basically the whole crossover aspect of this game as like a series anniversary title. To me, I'm kind of, it's kind of whatever, but I also, it's one of those things where I'm like, I am excited for this game, but I'm not excited for this game for this reason. The fact that it's a crossover. This also is one of those things where it's, uh, this is like just my philosophy and how I approach games. And we've talked about this before. Like, sure, I am interested in the story, but I'll just experience it when I play it. I don't need to like overanalyze a trailer like, oh, this must be this. And oh, this must be that. And this is this refers to this. And it's like, no, I'll just play it at some point and see the story. You know? I mean, the, the 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 real the real value of this is just seeing like you know like the the models of like these characters. We see a lot of the characters that like was in the like initial key art for the game, but you never really saw the in game models. So like this right. story trailer, like you know, gives some of them, uh, you know, like the, that aspect, which is fun. You know, uh, you see I, Red Marf. How's that? <laughs> yeah, you see, you know, hinting at like you know other story revelations and all that sort of stuff. And the production you know, values I, I, are like good. It looks it looks really good. Yeah, like like the actual well, like 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 there's the stu- the the visual fidelity and like the story scenes like seem to be a step up from. Yeah, I, I mean technically, I know that the art style is kind of take it or leave it. It still kind of looks like a bunch of VTubers, but uh, technically <laughs> it looks it looks really proficient. There, there's a rumor, uh, according to leaks or something, that uh-huh. the protagonist gets to pick like a. Uh, alignment like a neutral a chaos or something you know something and his hair color will change ciao ciao but i i, I think i think you fell for a joke i think you something fell for like a joke. that <laughs> because people look. posted a chart to say here's how it might look it was just the shadow the hedgehog alignment chart oh really oh god <laughs> <laughs> that's so sick I, I i thought you were gonna say child like you heard a rumor that like the 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 uh, uh, protagonist was like going to become a VTuber in the game. And all that. Uh, no, no, but I was hoping for that to that. fix up the, the Too Famous mistake. No, oh, I wanted it to be true. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so sick. <sighs> I mean, obviously their hair color, like the split hair color, is probably going to be story relevant. That's probably going to be like a plot mark of the game. Like that, even even the trailer kind of hints at it. But like, like I said, like the real value of this, like just seeing some of these characters in motion, giving them, you know. Uh, a little bit of their personality and like what you could expect. Like you see, like your protagonist's mom in this trailer. Like that's sick. Mm-hmm. And well, it's a wait, wait, wait. Doesn't the mom usually always die in every Fire Emblem game? Yeah. Well, in this trailer, she seems to be dying. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say anything. <laughs> well, <laughs> there you go, guys. Dead moms is a fire. I mean, that's just, that's just a fucking JRPG staple. Like your parents probably kick it. Remember, oh, it, could be it, happened to, it, ha- it happens to three houses. Spoilers: Geralt dies. You know? yeah. Of course, he's going to. Yeah. Either he's dead your, dad he's your, or dead. He's, mom. Your, he's basically your dad. So, but I mean, so. I, I, I'm excited for this game. Like, it still it still feels far off, even though it's like it's coming out in it's, like it's mid January. Two months. It's two yeah. months away, basically. <laughs> Which yeah, is crazy. So, uh, but I, I'm lo- really looking forward to this. Like it, it looks to, it, it looks to have like a really fun like cast and uh, a really interesting like gameplay gimmick to it. Uh, and I think I think the thing that I'm like hopeful about is like like I'm I'm hope like I'm hoping that, that the levels are more interesting than like three houses like the level design. Mm-hmm. 
We also got a trailer and a whole bunch of details for the upcoming Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion. This is another one of those December releases releasing on the 13th. Uh, We got a trailer that was titled the More Than a Remastered trailer, which it's not very long. It's about a minute long, basically just showcasing two different things. One, the visual update, and two, the gameplay update. So we got some new footage here. talks about the summons, talks about the combat. Um, And then alongside this, we got a bunch of screenshots. We got like a press release that went through a lot of details of how the game works. We got some of the specifications on how this game runs like on every console. Like it's actually quite nice. I wish more publishers did this where it's like, this is what resolution and frame rate it'll run on Xbox One S, Xbox One X, PlayStation 4, PS4 Pro, and so on and so forth. So Basically, we know exactly how this game will run, at least purportedly. Yeah, it's also nice that yeah, they show the PC options and what sort of like uh, tweaks you can make to the game. I also like the the in depth fa- FAQ they used as well because they actually like they they actually uh, answer the question like, will this game have the nouveau? And they're like, no, it won't have the nouveau, but the game data is still encrypted. Like that's <laughs> an interesting like like question to like pick out and like choose the answer from a official faq for a game but yeah it's uh it's a lot of info and uh, like sure you know like this is this is look uh game is looking like better and better than you know crisis Core was already like a pretty fun game on the psp but like just seeing all the improvements they're, they're making to this as so not only that actually got a chance to uh play the uh new version like before I wrote up my impressions for it, I, I outright like tried playing the PSP version, got to the first battle, and immediately was like, "No, I've seen <laughs> enough." The the nub, the single PSP nub, and then like this game was locked uh, behind not 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 only on the PSP but specifically on UMD only. This never got a digital release, right? So it's like you had the UMD yeah. and a PSP, and that and that's how you played it, and that's the only way you could play it until now. Now it's on everything. Uh, well, yeah, uh, you could also go through emulation as well. Oh, that's um, true. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. Play. That's how I. That's yeah. how I tried out the first game before I wrote my impressions. Yeah, it's totally fine, you know, because that's that's very they don't hard sell to find. Yeah, <laughs> they don't sell the original. Yeah, yeah, it's totally fine. Yeah, so you know, I'm, I mean, like the the details that really like you know, well, like I wanted out of this is like, oh, okay, it's gonna support up to 120 FPS on um, PC, and then yeah, it looks to be, and you know, it's your it's your, it's your usual like. Uh, FAQ of like you know whatever the challenges of like you know making this game it's like yeah just the fucking resolution of the PSP was fucked so we had to go rebuild the game from, from square <laughs> one <laughs> it's like yeah you're right you're right I don't know PSP is an odd hardware to me I, I believe go for it. I was gonna say I believe that system the only way that's playable if you get it pirated that way it, that you load games from your uh, SD card or your memory stick or whatever you want to call it so that. You skip all the loading times and solve all those issues, right? Uh, like I remember what, what when I, I played uh, when I played uh, Birth by Sleep back in the day. I had two PSPs. I had like a PSP uh, 2000 and a PSP Go, and mm. I played it on my PSP Go because I made my I made a backup of my UMD, and I was like, I- I'm going to I'm going to play it on on the system. It was never meant to be played on digitally. One of the interesting uh, FAQ questions out of this is uh, which engine and middleware tools have you been you've been using during development and why? They're saying they use Unreal Engine 4. The reason we chose that is because it supports multiple platforms and is designed for high-end game development. And then they're like, in addition, the original PSP version was developed in C++, so when we considered porting it over the source code, the fact that Unreal Engine can use C++ was another factor affecting the decision. So it's kind of like 
interesting like small tidbits of like really really technical high end like decisions that they, that they yeah interesting that they point that out i yeah. wouldn't have expected them to yeah and that's kind of like the just kind of the, the obviously some of the mentality behind like japanese game developers revisiting like older games and why might they be using like unreal engine 4 uh to to uh support that effort and you know and you kind of see some of the reasons why they do that so that's well, a really it's like you know some of these questions are like really good well speaking of engines do they still use the luminous engine or do they scrap that whole thing now or spoken uh, yeah, yeah only that one the one studio luminous productions so yep so yeah they're using the ff14 engine for that or 15 yeah and then uh, one of the last pieces of major news here that we have, we kind of t- teased this at the end of one of our podcasts that uh, Capcom was going to have a Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak digital event that was going to detail the next major title update. And we were kind of expecting this, but we got a title update three is launching uh, in just a couple days at the time of recording on November 24th. This is I adding to two- time. Yeah, this is adding two Risen Elder Dragons. That is Risen Teostra and Risen Kashula Diora. And then a chaotic Gore Magala, which oh, yeah. I want. Awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. So Gore Magala, I first played in the. I be, I think he was based Sunbreak, uh, and then has the two forms. And I guess chaotic Gore Magala is like a mutation variant where it gets like stuck between the forms, hence chaotic. So yeah, that's the way they. You're just... actually you're actually putting it out of its misery because make no mistake. It is in very much pain. It does not want to live. That's why it's lashing out so much and it's so crazy. It's because it it's always in constant agony. And you're basically doing it and everyone around it a favor. It also and makes it the all- fight much more fucking deadly, too. <laughs> and then the, the one thing that's interesting about this that I don't think that... So basically, I've said this before. In For Monster Hunter World, I stayed up on all the title updates like the day they came out. On Rise, I haven't been. But they're talking about how like these the way that these elder dragons are tearing up is that you have to be like master rank one twenty to fight Risen Kishola Deora and master rank one forty for Teostra. Uh, I forget if there's a cap or requirement for chaotic Gormagala, but basically they're just like adding on to the end game. So basically, for people who really like this game, they're just adding to the challenge, uh, basically giving them constant goals to to strive for. It's Capcom, just we've seen it both in their main Monster Hunter games and even in stories, they are like really, really good at continuing support for their titles. That's that's yeah. one of my more broad takeaways here. And one thing also that this is something different. I was gonna talk different. about the uh the followers yeah. the update here. So the um I never so when I played Sunbreak, I kind of dabbled in the follower quest, but I didn't do a lot of them mainly because I was on a time crunch and just want to beat the game. But it seems like now you can bring before you had to like you can only bring your followers, the game NPCs on specific quests. Now it seems like they say that monst- sorry, hunters who have grown attached to the villagers and knights of Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak can now bring their followers with them on almost every master rank, cre- master rank quest, including anomaly quests and even investigations. Uh, obviously, you still have to play the follower quest to kind of like unlock them. Unlock I, them I believe yeah. That's, yeah, so that's kind of it basically gives if I'm reading this right and putting the putting the pieces together in my head, it's like almost like built built in NPCs that have stories and histories behind them and weapon types or whatever. So you can like build a party uh, to to take on the the challenges. And now they're kind of expanding the follower system so that you can go to any mastering quest with them, which I think is really kind of neat. Not gonna lie, so some of the followers are kind of uh, better players than some pubs. <laughs> so you know, something to think about. <laughs> Yep. And then I, I was surprised about this, but uh, so this is title update three. 
Um, they're already saying that there's a title update four planned for winter and, and a title update five planned for spring. So this will keep going. So yeah, I'm just that, like, that lines up with what people have data mined. And in all honesty, uh, title update five will probably be the last one. Um, but honestly, like they've been adding enough content with each of these. that doesn't really matter. Like it's like mm -hmm. semantics. Um, but yeah, uh, going to be interested to see how uh, I enjoy title update uh, three and uh, the rest of them beyond that uh, when I get the time to. Holy shit, the, the RPG backlog is real. Mm. <laughs> That's bad. It's bad. Sorry that we're like banging that into the uh, into the earth, but it's it's how we genuinely feel. <laughs> I, I really, really want to play Harvestella, but I'm dreading the fact that everyone that's played it says it's like at least 60 hours long. I never got back to Stranger of Paradise, and I feel bad. It's okay. Uh, after after the DLC, I don't think anyone's going to be uh, banging the drum for that on the, the game of the year list. I'm sorry to break it to you, James, but Ashley was also probably over 60 I, hours I know. long. I know, but I have to play that one because like both you and Josh are beating the drum about it, and I need to be able to be part of that conversation. Adam and James. Sorry, Adam and Josh. Do you remember the Diofield Chronicle? Diofield Sweep! That, <laughs> that was a game. Uh, it, the Diofield Chronicle is going to get a free update in March of 2023, so a few months away. Was anyone? Did anyone call this? No, but I love it. <laughs> this is great. This is fantastic. So, yep. Uh, so, Dealfield Chronicle is going to get a free update in March. It's going to feature a new scenario. And based on the trailer, it's seemingly like based around Walter Quinn, who has kind of uh, a very not, key. Not just based mm -hmm. on the trailer. Like the update literally says it's a Walter Quinn scenario. Like, okay. Yeah, I gotcha. The, the, she's, like, she's like the main character in this. And she... if you play the game, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It basically shows yeah. Walter Quinn's side of the story because there's a lot of points where like you don't really know what she's been going through. So this additional scenario surfaces all of that, and it really it drastically changes up like the, the the way you play the game in the sense that like it seems like you only play as Walter Quinn, but she's like a uh, she's like a summoner necromancer. So mm -hmm. your 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 gameplay now is like summoning like a fucking army <laughs> in fucking battles, and it fucking looks wild. <laughs> And then they're they're adding a new difficulty mode. They're also adding like an extra mode where high level additional high level enemies appear. That's that's somewhat different from the very hard mode. Uh, and I know one of the main criticisms of this game is that even on the hard difficulty, it was pretty easy to like not cheese, but like once you found a strategy that worked, you just did that all the time. Uh, so I think some people who like are big into tactical RPGs and weren't like didn't enjoy this game because it was just too breezy will have a di an additional difficulty mode that they can select from so yeah this is kind of out of nowhere not a surprise i really thought that free. dealfield chronicle was going to be like oh yeah it's also free um i really thought dealfield chronicle would be a one and done which is kind of like there's something quaint about games that are just like here it is and it is what it is but like nope this game will get another update uh, next year so weren't expecting well, it i can't i, mean, I can't, but, allow, cannot wait to commit war crimes even harder <laughs> Maybe they'll release a DLC after, like, oh, I shouldn't say that. It's a spoiler. Never mind. <laughs> I know oh, you're going to say that. I get <laughs> it, too. I'll put it. You can just leave. <laughs> I like that. Uh, did <laughs> the gameplay loop change for you guys? I remember you guys keep spamming this one skill when I'm watching you guys play. Well, no. The thing with the game is the way, the thing I enjoyed about it was you sort of find, like, an engine of skills that, like, synergize well and you're, you're kind of like min-maxing like aha this combination of skills 
synergizes so well, I can blow away anything. Yeah, like it, like it, like everyone is going to find their own like like variant of like like everyone's going to like find their own like combination of skills that like fucking just kills everything on screen. That's basically what you're working towards too. The way that the the, the strategies that people find for themselves will be pretty different from person to person. Like a lot, a lot of people like who like who like to stick like their base party will really like assassinate a lot uh, because like the like that assassinate skill on like the main character really fucking good and continues to be fucking good throughout the whole entire game. But like the, there'll be a lot, there'll be some people that like are more crafty and like just find a way to like group enemies together and like fucking kill everything on screen after that grouping. And like that's not even like that's just like one variant of it, you know. So like your your strategies like change over time, but like your end result. Is uh, is kind of the same of like okay, I found like my my skill chain setup to like kill everything on screen. I see. Yeah, that, that was a game that I feel like our impressions as a as a group here was seemingly more positive than average. But you know that's just that's how opinions work. So it's good to have that. It'd be interesting to see like if this ends up addressing some of the issues that uh, some people had with the original game being too easy. And just having a side story and some additional options just can't hurt as well. A couple other trailers for some upcoming games. We got another gameplay trailer for the upcoming Wild Hearts, focused primarily on the Karakuri mechanic, which is the like quick building nature magic mechanisms that we've seen used in like the gameplay trailer and the reveal trailer. Uh, so this this uh, whole gameplay trailer focuses on like the the weapons that you can build, the walls, the shields, the um, the updrafts of sorts that allow you to like gain altitude. So basically it's all around that gameplay mechanic, which I think this is kind of a good thing to highlight because um, it's kind of very clearly something that this game is incorporating into its gameplay style that isn't found in the other monster hunting contemporary video games. So that's kind of neat. And then additionally, there is, I believe this was revealed on this trailer, a giant porcupine monster, which is really, really cute. I like it. Just giant porcupine. I'd have found it cute. I'm like, I don't know. It seems pretty deadly and uh, would hurt if you tried to touch it. Is it given a name? I wonder how. Th- I wonder like how thick the quills are. You know, just oh, probably <laughs> Adam. Very... Do you, Adam, do you know if it was given a name? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I was, I don't the know. reason why I was wondering is because like the boar is King Tusk. I, I was like, I wonder if this is like, oh yeah, Queen yeah. Quill or something. I don't know. <laughs> so. The, no, the, the, the trailer is, is, is made for Fortnite fans, you know? That's why they had to release this kind of trailer. It's like, all right. Mm-hmm. And then it is also going to get another trailer at the Game Awards of some sort. Which I guess we'll talk about very briefly later, probably at the very, very yeah. end of this podcast. So if that's, if that's your thing. Uh, we also got another gameplay trailer for another upcoming RPG that doesn't have a release date yet. And that is Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader. In case there are too many Warhammer video games that you can't keep them straight, like me, this is the one that's being developed by Owlcat Games, who made the two uh, Pathfinder CRPGs. So this is a gameplay trailer that, it's a CRPG, so a lot of the gameplay is kind of rote and well-worn. But one thing that, as someone who has played and enjoyed the Pathfinder games, when I look at this gameplay trailer, I'm like, man, Owlcat makes some pretty pretty beautiful CRPGs. I just I really enjoy the lighting and the art style from this, uh, from this studio. And it's interesting to see it in a in a Warhammer environment rather than just like the general fantasy setting of Pathfinder. Yeah, Alcott's really good at just like environmental design. Mm. They, they, they just make really high production value games, but still CRPGs, which are almost 
occasionally associated with being lower budget. So it's kind of cool to see both Alcat doing that. And then, of course, Larry and with Baldur's Gate 3, which... Baldur's Gate 3 is a sneaky title, like I feel. They they announced that... I don't think we reported on it. They sort of announced an announcement, like they're going to have a stream about it. They might get a, give it a release date, you know, next year. And it could be a... You know, I think I think it being in the early access, people almost like forget about it. I but. played that. Like, it's one of those things. Yeah. Where it's like I feel like I played Baldur's Gate three forever ago because it was like years ago. It's not out yet, and I'm like, all right, they're gonna have their updates, and it's gonna get a real release date. It's gonna be a real boy at some time. Uh, and like, I am looking forward to that, but it's just one of those things where I'll, I'm just waiting for release at this point. So, uh, and then like speaking of like, I, I'm also interested in. The fact that they've Alcat has really supported Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous, it's getting that second DLC pack. I'm like, all right, so similar to kind of like uh, um, Monster Hunter Rise, like I'll wait for all the added, added content to be put in, and then yeah, maybe I'll poke at it again. But yeah, Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader, I this will uh, this will be my I am definitely planning on playing this, it'll be my first and only foray into Warhammer of any sort, which I know literally nothing about. But hey, I knew literally nothing about uh, Pentiment setting either and ended up really enjoying it. So uh, good precedent there. And then also speaking of some upcoming announcements, uh, we got some news that the sequel to Fuga, Melodies of Steel, will be re-revealed early next year in January and will also be given a release date at the same time. Uh, James, was there any additional context about this Fuga 2 news? Uh, so basically, it wasn't something that was well announced when I reported on it. It was just um, uh, the uh, uh, president of uh, CyberConnect2 has this sort of like Famitsu uh, column that he's been doing about Fuga's development for a while now. And uh, the most recent one went up. So I, I read it because I was interested. And uh, basically, he was just like, oh, yeah, so I said that we were going to have more Fuga news in the fall. Uh, it's already halfway through November to the point where you'd be forgiven for saying it's almost winter. Uh, so anyways, that uh, information about Fuga 2 was delayed until January. But here's some other information I can share right now, in which case it was like, OK, so when we have when we kind of re-reveal or show off the sequel in January, they'll have the release date. And he also said that part of the reason why it's taken so long for more information is that instead of just taking all the feedback from Fuga 1 and implementing it in Fuga 2, they've also been working on a patch for Fuga 1 that kind of uh, some of the quality of life and balance changes that they've made for Fuga 2, they're patching into Fuga 1 as well. Basically taking the lessons they've learned while like from like the feedback and developing Fuga 2 and being like, well, it when you really think about it, it makes sense to add that to Fuga 1 as well. Because by his own words, it's like, well, there's some people that maybe um, could have enjoyed Fuga 1, but some of these issues like drove them away. And it's like, it doesn't make sense if we want to have retention and get people to try both Fuga 1 and then go on to Fuga 2 if we just address those complaints in Fuga 2. It would make much more sense to have them addressed in both. That way, anyone else that starts up the series and wants to try it out they're getting the best possible experience from the word go. Right. Which now I you can think... have the, the, the balance patch of Boron having accounting as two for our soul cannon shots. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. And like the way he explains it in Japanese, of course, uh, makes a lot of sense. It's like you don't really think about it, but especially for a studio like uh, CyberConnect2 and when it's their self-publishing, they want to get as many people to play it as possible. It makes a lot of sense. 
So, yeah. The, all the remaining headlines that we have here are all based around release dates. So we will just kind of rattle through these. And I think I have these in chronological order. We'll see if that holds true. Uh, Soccer Story is going to basically be releasing on everything on November 29th. James, you wrote in this uh, article everywhere except Google Stadia because it's already out on Google Stadia. But no, then it, it, Google... Was announced for, it, it was announced for Google Stadia, but that was before the game came out, obviously. And now that Stadia is uh, shutting down, yeah. they're like, we previously announced this has come to Google Stadia. Please ignore that announcement. Uh, yeah, but, but, but they just worded it. Like, I made it sound like it was out on Google Stadia, too. I had to like the, uh, read it again. I, I, like... I was literally using their own yeah. words because it, I thought it was funny. It, they're yeah, just poking you. fun at it yeah. like it's coming out except for google stadia because that's true for a lot of games that come out on everything but google stadia but the reason why it's notable here is because it was announced for it and gotcha but yeah they're they were just like i guess not yeah <laughs> so yeah soccer story that little uh, indie rpg based around football uh soccer and coming out by the end of the month all right it's so called uh, it's not called football story it's called soccer story uh, good point all right soccer story mm. yeah Football story will be uh, next year. What was the other game that these uh, developers made? Wasn't that you might be thinking? Make... You might be thinking of Sports Story and Golf Story, which are different. Oh, which is not from the same people as Soccer no. Story. Okay, Soccer Story See, is different. Keep... Okay, I'm glad you, I'm glad you're around to help me keep this straight. Okay, uh, Broken Lines is releasing on consoles, PlayStation, and Xbox on December 14th. This is like a World War. Is it two CRPG? Yeah, yeah World War Two ta- or tactical RPG. Tactical. Um, it released a few years ago on PC, but will be coming to um, uh, consoles. Oh, it also released. I didn't realize it also released on Switch in 2020. So it released on Switch and PC in 2020. And then uh, in December, it will be releasing for PlayStation 4 and 5 and Xbox One and Xbox Series. Uh, also in December, um, NetEase announced a new game, which is Cygnus Enterprises, which is like an RPG city management sim. That is releasing an early access on PC. It sounds like a like a modern take on like an ActRaiser or something. So obviously I, I, like uh, not similar to ActRaiser, but like in terms of its style, but like there's like an RPG half and like a city building half. <laughs> so mm-hmm. but they actually the RPG half is like a top-down like action isometric sort of thing. But yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere. It was announced during like the PC gamer stream this week. And it's coming in early mm-hmm. access like in a month. So I haven't really looked into it too much, to be honest. Like, oh, it's okay. It's like a, a half RPG, half city builder from NetEase. Uh, so it's, this is one of those games where, like, we know we've talked about how NetEase is sort of moving into more console and PC games rather than mobile, which is what they've done a lot of. Well, I guess here's one of them, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it's cool, but it's early yeah. access. So it's, it's, it's yeah. hard to, it's sort of hard to get a, grasp on it without like playing it i think yeah also you broke your chronological order thing oh i did yeah you skipped one oh it's over oh i skipped uh i remember we talked about where is this uh the witcher 3 wild hunt complete edition this is the long awaited uh next gen even though we're two years into the gen update will be releasing on december 14th and this includes, I believe, a free update to the PC version. Uh, this is basically a PC version of the Complete Edition will launch at the same time. Uh, the Complete Edition will basically include all the free DLCs. Those are like the, the items and the add- little tiny additions. And then as well as the two expansions, Hearts of Stone and Blood and Wine. Um, basically, the, there will be a free update if you already own the game. 
uh, a physical release for the complete edition will be available later. So I know I don't know like how many people have been waiting for this, but it's been something that has been like on their list for a while. So it's kind of nice to finally have a release date. I guess it's worth mentioning for PC players who are playing uh, with mods on PC right now, you might want to turn auto updates off if you want to continue playing that mod because these this update might probably break mod support for a while. I guess that's one thing I'm not sure of. So like it says the complete edition will get a PC version. But will current PC versions automatically update to complete edition, yeah. or will it be they, separate they said, they, It depends. If you if you bought it on GOG and you downloaded the non Galaxy version, it's not going to auto update because it doesn't connect at all. Yeah. But uh, if you uh, bought it and you're using GOG Galaxy or you're using uh, the Steam version, then it will probably auto update. Uh, I'm also sort of curious about like if you believe though that uh, if you bought it on Steam, you can still get it on dog for free and i think then so you'll still have access to the original version if you want to download it it's just like it'll probably auto update yeah but i'm also sort of curious like if you have the pc version like you bought it and let's just say you never bought the dlc can you can you even do that (laughs) or is the dlc always included now I'm it's sort of curious, so like if you bought the yeah. if you bought the PC version and then it's like updates, or do they just give you the DLC now? I'm not sure, <laughs> but it's probably even cheap several times. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I was quickly looking at the PC version. It looks like if you there you can get the, there's the base version and then there's the game of the year edition, which includes which the comes. DLC. So I'm wondering, like, if you own the base version and it like updates, you're, you're, you might you might get like the the game update, but they're not going to throw in the DLCs. That if you haven't bought them already, right? Like, or will they? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sure. yeah. It's kind of that's kind of a very niche scenario where it's like, yeah, if you bought the game but not the DLCs, I, I'm I'm sure they've accounted for that where they're not right. going to let you like swindle them in such a way. And the, I know the game has been on very deep discounts several times. It's also sold like what thirty million copies. So something I mean, I don't like that. I I think. Something tells me that they don't really care too much if a few people that somehow didn't buy the DLC now get the DLC. Yeah. Mm. I'm really curious to see what how ray, trace, ray tracing will look like in this game with this update. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that I'm looking at the release date. I'm like, 2015. Damn. That was a long time ago. Uh, on the Damn Steam release date for it. Yep. Uh, All right. So going into... Uh, that was my last comment on Witcher. Any other comments on Witcher? Nope. All right. I wonder if this uh, next gen update is going to make it look as good as the original PC trailer before they had to downgrade <laughs> it for consoles. The dream. Uh, so going into not, be funny. Re- going into releases for next year, uh, this is not a release, but it's the date of a network test. Uh, this is going to be a, a deep cut for a few people that have been waiting a long time for this. Uh, several years ago, Bandai Namco announced a uh, I don't remember if they announced it as an online action game or an MMO, but they announced Blue Protocol. And I remember a lot of people were really invested in this game and really interested. And even I like remember watching some of the early streams of that game. But then it went quiet. And I ended up kind of like it ended up kind of like slipping my radar. I haven't thought about it in a long time. But uh, Bada Nimco and Bandai Nimco Online have announced that Blue, Blue Protocol will launch in spring of 2023 in Japan. And then a network test will be uh, conducted in January from the 14th to the 16th. So yeah, they, um, they also had a, a like a recent stream, like you know, showing off like you know the the like the what the game is looking like. Um, and during that stream, they also mentioned that Blue Blue Protocol will also be showing up at the Game Awards. 
they'll have uh they said they'll have like a special update on the game at the game awards so this Which will, almost all you know, this, this will this will not be japanese exclusive for anyone who is worried about that so you know well we'll maybe get like a release date uh, or a release time frame for the uh, global release you know for for this game it's uh, it's also it's also one of those games that's like a really really in depth like customization, um, mm. yeah, create a character type of stuff. So you know it, it's it, I'm really interested to see how like the final product looks like uh, when it launches. It's always very tricky to uh, release a modern MMO these days, especially if you're not like one of the big ones, right? Um, so, but you know, but this is this has been getting like a lot, like a, a pretty considerable following, like just not even Japan, just like globally, like a lot of people have been clamoring for it. So best of luck. I didn't realize it was going to show up at the Game Awards, but yeah, very clearly an indication that it's going to get some Western details. Whether it's going to be a worldwide release in the same date or offset in a bit, in a way, we'll see. So. Yeah. Uh, and here's one that basically, if this is this almost feels like like a Mad Lib announcement or like an AI-generated headline. <laughs> so that is uh, 2009 action RPG Risen from Piranha Bytes will re-release on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch on January 24th of next year. So it's like, wait, yeah. what? Yep. All right. Well, hopefully... Someone on our Twitter feed was like, what? And I even responded <laughs> to them like, yeah, that's what I said when I saw this. Because Risen, from what I understand, I haven't played it, it has the Piranha Bytes sort of jank to it, but also charm to it. Like maybe not like a great game by some, you know, rubric, but, you know, has its strengths and faults and like charm. But like, I don't think anyone was expecting or wanting or hoping or even thinking this was possible that it's just going to get a modern like or a console port. And also, I guess the PC version is old enough. It didn't it never had controller support. And now they're adding it. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's so, crazy yeah. Like, it's okay. it's funny reading the press release of this because they could they referred it as the the cult RPG multiple times, yeah. and they, they they always like say that there's gonna be no loading screens, fully seamless. World. It's just like it's like a bullet point. It's like no loading screens. Like holy shit. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of RPGs uh, right now. Are you like, a fan I'm of cult happy. RPGs? Me, I love the cult RPG. Yeah, this is just its own genre. Um, but I right now. Uh, it feels like forever ago, even though it was only a handful of months ago, I really feel burned by like Elex 2. Uh, so like Elex 1, I basically also these are the reason why I bring these games up is because they're also from developer Piranha Bytes. Like I thought it was very similar, like, yeah, it's got jank, but it has some really smart ideas and a lot of good things going for it. Where like Elex 2, I thought was really, really bad. Just not good. <laughs> I, I couldn't see past it. And then I'm looking at like, okay, what are the Steam reviews on Risen? Uh, 89% positive across its lifetime. That's pretty good. Metacritic 77. All right, maybe a diamond in the rough. And then I'm looking at Elex 2 on Steam and it's like 74% positive. What in the world? Like, uh, I don't know. But like, all right. I'm going to say that I need to see the Digital Foundry for the performance on this on PS4, Xbox One and Switch. Switch is an interesting choice. Like, who? Switch switch owner. Waiting for the Risen port, <laughs> just being like, Me. "Yes, hell yeah!" <laughs> Crossing uh, my fingers that this 2009 game could run uh, well on those platforms. Uh, has it ever run well? I don't know. But uh, Risen, I really don't know, like what the reception was for like people that are like into the Eurojank stuff. 
if I play I, this game, yeah, it, it's going to be like from like an academic standpoint, like, sure, let me see what this 2009 RPG is like, like just just to just to experience it. It's out of nowhere, but I still appreciate it. Like, why not? Let's do it. Uh, another January release is uh, we talked about this game back in the late summer, and that is Superfuse, which is a like an isometric superhero RPG with like a comic book art style. Uh, it will launch on early in early access on January 31st. So right now, this game has only been announced for Steam, uh, for PC. Uh, we've only got the early access release date. And right now, no indication that it has a planned console release yet. Yeah, this this game's like kind of it, it's kind of been uh, like in the background, like, but it's one of those things that I would like to try out. I, I, I don't remember if it was. Like when you first heard about it, I didn't know if it was going to go to early access or just to a full release, mm-hmm. but it, it seems pretty, pretty neat. I do like uh, Adam's general like mindset for covering early access games is like we will cover when they go into early access. But at that point, like you, it's kind of like we can't stay up to date on all early access updates. We would just be swarmed. Uh, yeah. So we'll probably hear from this game again on an official you know, RPG site news post uh, once it goes to full release which sometimes is only a few months away and sometimes it feels like it never comes but yeah super hopefully, fuse, hopefully cool. this one this hopefully this one comes out before the end of 2023 like fully fully mm-hmm. and then uh go ahead james i was just gonna say randomly um just reminds me of uh how uh at like e3 2015 i saw uh mountain blade uh banner award to um to like beyond like behind closed doors and then that didn't even come out in early access until like four or five years later and it's just now come out fully i swore i gameplay they showed i remember like so our site has never really covered like the mountain blade series very well we just don't have anyone on site that has an inherent interest in it well i think kite plays it a lot but doesn't write a lot uh, of feature uh, review features um i remember back in like 2019 alex was like we should cover this and I thought the game had released. And then like <laughs> that's like Mountain Two Mountain Blade 2 Banner Lord came out on the 25th of October, like less than a month ago. Like, really? I feel like people have been playing this game for years, and that's because they have been. Um but yeah, like, I it guess it's like a wait and a half for because it got announced. And it was like a wait and a half for it to come out in early access. And then it's like, oh yeah, by the way, even though we announced it like five years ago, it's only early access now, and it's just now come out. Mm-hmm. Just crazy. 160,000 reviews on Steam. Yeah, Mountain Blade is one of those games where it's easy to underestimate how popular it is because it's only on PC. So it's like... But it's got its audience there. Yeah, yeah, and it's like a lot of those PC-only games, you just, unless you're like like peeking around those like PC-only spaces, it's really hard to tell when something's super popular or not. 33,000 in game. Probably uh, one of the biggest it. games of the year. And then the last uh, the last release date that we have here is another February release. Um, and that is a Switch port for Tyrant's Blessing, which is, I believe this was an indie, uh, like, tactical, like, very, very FFT-like tactical sort of It was sort of like Into the Breach-esque. Uh, uh, I, oh, I played okay. like a demo for this on... Uh, Steam. Uh, unfortunately, like I, I didn't quite enjoy my time with it on in that Steam demo because of, like there's like this mechanic in it where like you're fighting these 
like undead like undead uh, uh creatures like like zombies and like they had this inherent like system mechanic where they would like keep on resing themselves up until a certain point like they have like this energy and like once you deplete that energy then they'll stop resing so they kind of it kind of made fights tedious in it but you know oh, and, i remember like you saying that now yeah um like i i don't i haven't really kept up with the game ever since like it fully released i don't know if they've tweaked that or made that less tedious you know but um you know for people who enjoy it more power to them you know i just didn't enjoy my time with that with that demo version uh, and then the last bit here are two things just to kind of look forward to uh one at the end of this year and one early next year we mentioned it people have different levels of investment in this but uh the game awards is set up for december 8th of this year uh just because we're always kind of interested in what RPGs are being nominated for these uh, large-scale awards. The five games that were nominated for the Game Awards RPG of 2022 were Elden Ring, Pokemon Legends Arceus, Triangle Strategy, Xenoblade Chronicles 3, and Live Alive. And six games? Is that six games? Yeah, because I know that five of the six are published by Nintendo. Uh, It's it's six games for the... uh, Is it six? No, yeah, in, 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 in the best role playing category and like on like the site, it has five games. I don't know where the six come from, but like the for the best role playing game category on the Game Awards site, it's Elden Ring, Live Alive, Pokemon Legends Arceus, Tri- Triangle Strategy, and Xenoblade Three. Okay, we can count. So, well, it's yeah. four, four or five. I, James, I mean, James is correct. It's just four or five, not five or six. Yeah. So. And, and, um, yeah. And, in the no actual problem. like in the actual like big game of the year category, it has six games on the site. Like mm. and, and for RPGs there, there's Elden Ring, there's Horizon Forbidden West, and Xenoblade 3 are the three RPGs that are uh, representing like for the big game of the year category. But for a lot of these categories, you see a lot of Elden Ring and Horizon Forbidden West um on them. I'm kind of just like scrolling real fast to see if there are any other like the uh, RPGs. And when I think of the uh, when I think of the RPG nominations, like when we're talking about like a broad audience, I think they're pretty good. Like Elden Ring is obviously done very very well critically and commercially. Xenoblade Three is probably the biggest like Japanese RPG of the year. Um, Pokemon Arceus is obviously is a uh, has sold uh, obviously bigger than Xenoblade. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, if yeah. you're talking about that, but. Uh, it's its own thing. It's 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 a, a paradigm sh- it's a paradigm shift for Pokemon. We think uh, it you know did really well. Uh, Live Alive, obviously a classic, finally available in English. Live Alive, uh, I think, is the uh, to stop you there. That's the one that I I look at this list and like, oh, that's that's neat that Live Alive got announced for yeah, it's RPG cool. of the Year on at a big website. I think its chances okay. of winning are incredibly slim. Yeah. Or it's, it's it's almost kind of there as like a respectful nod. But yeah, that's and just, I think I think that strategy is a rock solid game. It's probably the weakest of the nominations. But when I think about like what would I nominate instead, like if I were to replace it, the only other thing that comes to mind is maybe Trails from Zero because that's obviously well loved. It's a little bit more niche, but mm-hmm. um, otherwise, I think those five picks are pretty solid. Yeah, uh, yeah for like RPGs, encompassing. Yeah, like obviously, like you might really love Star Ocean, and it might just be it might just sing to you. Um, but when considering this is like a kind of a this is a broad audience award, 
it's a broad but audience, that, but, but Western slanted probably. So it's, I know yeah. some people were just happy to see Xenoblade Chronicles three nominated. Yeah, it, I'd be I know, surprised if Elden Ring doesn't. I, f- win, I forget no. the details, but like I remember people had like a real beef because two wasn't nominated the year it came out because it was a December release and then it was ignored the next year, and people were like, rrr, 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 you know. But it's you know, do these matter in the long run? They really don't. But it is still kind of cool just to like say yes, it's neat that Live Alive got nominated for a big stage award like this, even if it doesn't really have a chance of winning at that point, that's kind of beside the fact. This is so, yeah, this is, it's like, it's, it's neat that got nominated. It won't matter in the sense that we all know that Elden ring is going to be a, a sweeper this year. Well, I could uh, see well, potentially, I could see potentially if Elden ring gets game of the year, they could then nod something else for RPG of the year, yeah. potentially, uh, so it'd be or, or, they to see get, that. or they get Elden Ring RPG of the Year and they give God of War a Game of the Year. Yeah, mm-hmm. something like that as well. Uh, they've done something like that before, which I think is fair. Um, just just to kind of... Other, some other RPGs here at the other categories as well. Um, we don't, we, I still need to get around to this. I don't know if... I, I wish I could get around this game, but Citizen Sleeper. Uh, uh, oh, yes. For Impact. That's there. I've heard a lot of great things about it. Um, I mm-hmm. haven't had time to get around to it. Best ongoing um, has you know Destiny Two, FF14, and Genshin Impact for RPG um, representation there. So a lot of uh, for best ongoing, um, be- best mobile game Genshin Impact once again, and then uh, Tower of Fantasy Diablo Immortal for RPGs also on uh, Gosh. there. Um, best community sort support Destiny Two and FF14 uh, there. Um, let's see. I know there are some other um, RPGs here, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it like just for this year, just uh, really like good showing of uh, RPGs all around. I looked for They're indie games RPG to see if I looked for indie games to see if any of the indie games were like RPG slanted. The one that we could have covered probably, but didn't was Tunic as a best mm-hmm. indie game that's more of a Zelda like as far as I know than an RPG, but we kind of conflict the two deliberately on purpose. So yeah, I, I almost, James talked I about almost, it on the podcast. So yeah, I oh, yeah that's right. wrote mm-hmm. about it. And then I was like, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I, I probably could have done some, I probably yeah, could have done something about it because, uh, I remember I reviewed, uh, death store, which was similar enough. So I don't know. Most, most anticipated games. Almost all RPGs. It's FF16, Hogwarts Legacy, uh, Resident Evil 4 is on there as the only non-RPG, Starfield, and Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All those games are totally coming out next year. Actually, I think all those all those games are probably going to come out next year. Game Awards yeah, does I, better at most anticipated games than RPG site. <laughs> I, I think I think the, the game that has like the most uh, uh, la- the one that it's, might slip into 2024 Starfield. That's what yeah. I think. But I, everything else, I think, will come out next year. And then this is more of a specific thing to look forward to. But uh, we have Grand Blue Fantasy Fest, as we do, I believe that's every year, right? So uh, it's, every year. But it's it's in January this year. Is that typical? No, it's usually in December. It's usually mm-hmm. in December because that's when like they announced like the new um, was it the Zodiac in Grand Blue every time. And they'll show a bunch of announcements, like gameplay changes, and, and that, that's when we've gotten our yearly update on on Relink. Yeah, and the whole year is silent except for when that uh, event shows up. Yeah, Relink is apparently playable in the event, so you can. Yeah, that's that's the big news here. Is that yep, Grand Blue Fantasy Fest 
Will we see more or get more details on Grand Blue Fantasy Relink? It's been a few years since we've gotten some real concrete details other than like very, very quick look-ins or updates. Apparently, at Grand Blue Fantasy Fest 2022-2023, occurring in late January, Grand Blue Fantasy Relink will be playable by the public for the first time. So that's obviously for people that have been anticipating this game for a while, that is a very good, promising sign. Do you think we'll finally get a release date, Chow? No. No. <laughs> Dang. Uh, but I, I feel like the mobile game is like setting up for like an end of service kind of storyline right now. <laughs> I am feeling scared. Like there's a lot of shit that's happening in the story that's really wild. And I was like, oh my god, are they really setting up for the end or something? I don't know. I mean, I would be so sure, except for the fact that apparent from my understand, Ram Blue's entire like rating scene is like dependent on twitter so uh well it's gonna be dead i mean maybe i don't know elon musk has killed twitter right is that the uh, is that what the news out there is i mean that's you know it's, it's it's getting wild out there nothing is like kind of officially like it's 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 looking bad but we'll see but uh, but the problem with grand blue is like people uh put the codes out with twitter and yeah, like yeah, a yeah search yeah. engine that uses twitter to find these codes to help you join raids so if twitter's down then how's Grand Blue's gotten to function? Yeah, yeah it's, 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 that's kind of the weird ripple effect, right? Because like Grand Blue is like one of those games that like uh, that uh, a certain portion of that game does not operate if like a, a major social media service goes down because it's. So no, I'm not, I'm not saying that. like Twitter is for sure going to die, yeah. but there's a lot of like websites that you can log in with Twitter. Like, yeah, that there's a lot mm-hmm. of things that like Twitter is connected to that would be problematic if it just did die. Right. I believe I don't know where I saw this, um, but uh, I saw some hubbub about like uh, PSN backend stuff of like people data mining that there might be a Grand Blue Relink demo at the PSN backend. So just uh, take that with a grain of salt. I that's just like some hubbub I heard. Well, it wouldn't it wouldn't be the first time where it's like this is playable by a public at an event. And they get like the first first hands on, and then that same demo is made digitally available, you know, worldwide or at least in Japan. Like Elysium. It's like the Final mm-hmm. Fantasy VII demo. It's like, oh yeah, it's like they have like this big announcement at the show, and then oh demo like an hour later or something like that. Yeah. Like, so yeah. I could see it happening. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see if this game like it like is a thing if it exists next year. I don't know. It's a myth. For a myth. One of the longest RPG myths. Like Wukong, the black myth? Is that what's yeah. called? Yeah. Is it that's real? A, Is a, it a myth? That's another one I haven't seen in a while. And yeah, uh, here we are approaching the three-hour mark, and that covers every all the headlines that I had for the year. So... Uh, November is quickly wrapping up. We had a ton of games to talk about this week. Thank you, basically everyone here, <laughs> including Chow, getting in the uh, the Astalibra section. You know, unplanned Hello. and unprompted. But yeah, so <laughs> random talk. Yeah, so lots of great games coming out. Uh, Scarlet and Violet doing some really fun things, even if we are a little bit disappointed at the technical uh, proficiency of that one. Uh, interesting things from Midnight Suns, the smaller titles, uh, Pentiment, Monochrome Mobius. Talked last week about, of course, uh, Tactics Ogre and all the other games that we're trying to wrap up with it before the end of the year. We've got those reviews up on the site for Pentiment and Tactics Ogre Reborn. Uh, James has his Monster Hunter feature as well, along with the news for the uh, Update 3, including all the... Uh, headlines and release dates upcoming into the end of this year and into early next year. Uh, you can find RPG site 
up on all the social media platforms, Twitter for now, uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Uh, we do have a Discord channel, discord.gg slash RPG site. Uh, obviously, if you enjoy following us and hearing from us, we encourage that you join that uh, just in join case. Join the discussion. We yeah, have well, uh, discussion forums now for a bunch of recent RPGs. Uh, it seems to be going well so far. And uh, Yeah, it's been, it's been yeah. a good experiment. Very good before, function. Because before we would make different uh, like community tabs for different channels, and they would be active uh, like when games were first released. But now we're going to try these uh, little discussion forums that Discord has added and see how those work. But yeah, go ahead and discord.gg slash RPG site if you are at all inclined. We've had a lot um, of people coming in, a lot of newcomers. Yeah, time. yeah. It's been, it's been a time. Um, and then, uh, of course, if you made it to the end of this podcast, here we are at the uh, three-hour mark, go ahead and leave us a rating, a review, a comment. We love uh, hearing from those. We've been seeing them more often now, and it's been really cool to see uh, what you guys think, whether you agree with us on certain things or whether you disagree with us. We'll take that as well. Uh, let us know what we're doing, okay, and what we can work on. Um, and then, yeah, we'll... As of right now, we are, at least I am planning to have a podcast next week. Of course, I do know it'll be the Saturday after Thanksgiving for those of us in the United States. So it might have a slightly shorter format or uh, a smaller number of us up on the cast. If we do decide to not have a podcast next week, we'll let you know on our social channels uh, to the best that we can. Um, but yeah, until you hear from us next time, whether that is next week or later, uh, stay safe and take care. And we will talk to you then. Feel feel to everyone. Feel feel.